How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? Oh, it's going good, going good. Uh, busy weekend, but uh, always good to have some time to settle in and record some great podcasts. It is, man. It is. And we got a great episode ahead of us tonight. We're going to have a great cover athlete to talk about. We're going to plug next week's cover pull Man, and we got lots of stuff to talk about with these games because we actually won games this week. Yeah. It's fantastic. And we also are very happy to announce that we have a special guest co-host for today's episode. So today's co-host is the managing editor at the Wings Nation, as well as contributor for Flames Nation and Icelandics. Please welcome back to the show from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, Mike Gould. Mike, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Going okay. Uh, you were right about it being a tropical metropolis. It's actually quite <laughs> nice here right now. Um, it, we're having a Chinook right now, so it's 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 quite nice here. Excellent. What is the weather like in Calgary right now, temperature-wise? Balmy. It's up, getting close to maybe 10 degrees. Yeah, it's 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 really nice right now. My snow pile is starting to disappear. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a welcome diversion after how cold December was. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, in fairness, and now look at Ontario, right? They're going to get hit by snow hard the next couple of days. I think Ottawa right now, I think they're on record for 30 centimeters, 35 centimeters or something. That's what they're expecting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do not miss those Ottawa winters. That was a brutal part of living there. <laughs> Oh God, I only got a chance to go there once. And yeah, I'm like, I don't know how these guys live in this. I will never do it. But then again, Vancouver Island, like we got really cold in the last couple of weeks. Like it was like minus nine, minus 10. And I'm just looking up saying like, what the hell's going on? This is like, this is like how the rest of Canada feels right now. Except, you know. Yeah. Oh, come on. It didn't get below like negative five. Actually, it did. Vancouver never does. (laughs) No, Duncan did. Duncan got to minus eight. Oh, oh no. Oh, wow. And, and look at all the, and all the, shut up, guys. And all the snow <laughs> that we got too, it's just like, oh my good lord. I oh, thought wow, you got the West Coast of all the rain. Huh. I know. I live on this side of the country, so I wouldn't have to deal with snow. But unfortunately, it is what it is. So, mm-hmm. guys, I'm really excited to get together today because not only do we have two great games to talk about today, we're going to talk about today's cover athletes. So today's episode is season five, episode 14 in chronological order, episode 109, the Josh Norris edition of the third line plug Sensecast. So just a little background about Josh Norris. He was drafted 19th overall by the San Jose Sharks in 2017. He was traded to the Ottawa Senators as part of the Eric Carlson deal in September of 2018 and is currently in his third season with the club recording 16 goals, eight assists for 24 points in 30 games this season. So, Mike, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about Josh Norris. And I know that Josh used to play in your guys' division. Like, as a hockey fan, like, what is your thoughts on Josh Norris? You know, when the Senators acquired Josh Norris from San Jose, there weren't a lot of expectations that I had for him. I, I, I sort of, at the time, I thought the trade was okay, but I didn't love it. And part of that was that I didn't think they had gotten a super high upside prospects in it, in Josh Norris. And... Uh, he's exceeded my expectations in that front. He's turned into quite a good top six center and, you know, arguably a number one center. And he just does a lot of good things. You know, he's, he's, he's well built. He's a, he's a good skater. He's, he, he combines with Kachuk really well. And not just in that 
there, Kachuk Norris, which is such a great name for a line. The thing that I'm interested, very interested in seeing is what Ottawa decides to do in terms of locking him up. There's a lot of different ways they could go. Theoretically, with Ottawa's cap situation, they should be able to give him a relatively handsome long-term deal. And they did it with Brady Kachuk, and so maybe they'll do it with Josh Norris. I mean, heck, they did it with Colin White. But um, it's hard to say. I, I would say he's certainly earned at least you know $6 million, maybe a little bit more um, on a long-term deal. Uh, but you know, just as a player, you know, there's just not a lot that you can't like there because he's responsible. He's a good skater. He's a good scorer. He's got good finish, which I think is one of the most valuable attributes a player can have. He's basically turned out exactly the way Ottawa could have possibly wanted him to, or even a bit more the day that they acquired him. Yeah. And I think between that and the Stutzla pick, those two things completely reversed the narrative on that Carlson trade. It went from probably one of the darkest days in the franchise to, you know what, we can live with this. Absolutely. And sometimes when you're rebuilding a franchise, you just got to have those things that, you know, just happen for you and that aren't really your making. And if you are, you know, going through a rough patch and you're making deals that, you know, don't initially look that good, sometimes you just get those things that turn around and, you know, they work out in your favor. And, and Josh Norris, you know, if you had told me a few years ago that Josh Norris would be the number one center on this rebuilding Senators team going forward, I would have said, I'm not sure I like the foundation of that rebuild. But the way that it's worked out with Josh Norris's progression makes it a lot easier for Ottawa to make some bigger strides in other areas. Taking Jake Sanderson, and who, I mean, who looks outstanding so far. Tim Stutzla being able to play him on the wing uh, for a lot of his NHL career because you have that Norris at center developing at center, and then you can wait to develop Stutzla at center. Honestly, you know, Norris is a big reason why the Senators might be able to do some damage in the future. Well, and he's definitely a guy that I think a lot of teams very underestimate how good of a player he is. Because I know even watching the game last night against Edmonton, the Oilers left him wide open twice. And it's just like, okay, when are teams – it's like with Drake Batherson. When are teams going to figure out, okay, you can't leave these guys wide open because they can burn you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean – Ottawa's a funny team in that regard, you know, because I, I think a lot of their top players sort of get a little underestimated. Drake is another really good example of that. God, I can't talk enough about Drake Batherson having watched him play Calgary so much because it seems like every time he plays the Flames, he scores two goals. But yeah, no, I mean, Ottawa's just a really interesting team to me. I'm not 100% sold on their rebuild, but when you look at Norris and you look at Batherson and you look at Kachuk, I mean, they might not be the you know the the the, the A plus tier superstars right now, but God, they're just they're just good players. They're just players that every team wants, and uh, you know they got it. They got they need to have Stutzla take some steps, and when Stutzla takes some steps, and Jake Sanderson steps in, and you know maybe you see Norris even get a little bit better and Kachuk get a little bit better. I like that. I like that quite a bit. There's, there's going to be some good seasons there. So as much as we could talk about Josh Norris all day, we actually going to plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season five, episode 15 in chronological order, episode 110. Now, the funny thing about this cover athlete, guys, we don't have just one guy. We don't have two guys or three. We have four names on the board. Oh, wow. And the four, and the four players in question are Andreas Dackel, Brandon Boshensky, Anthony Duclair, and... Alex Formanton. 
Okay. And there are actually four names that we'd have things to talk about with, especially with guys like Brzezinski or uh, Formanton and Declare. True. I mean, Brzezinski, he's a mayor in what? North Grand North? Forks. Grand yeah, Forks, North Grand Dakota, Forks, North yeah. Dakota, yeah. That's just fantastic. Um, that, that's a weird one. Brzezinski has had quite the career. Cause like he's been overseas for quite a while and, and hasn't he played in like a bunch of Spengler cups or something, something like that. Yeah. And then he just yeah. comes back and becomes mayor. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just fantastic. Um, Formington, I can't, uh, I can't say too many positive things because Calgary traded the Curtis Lazar for the Calgary acquired <laughs> Curtis Lazar for the pick that sent him to Ottawa. And that was not a very good trade. I didn't like that trade from the day it was announced, but I love me some Anthony Duclair. If I wanted to talk about somebody who's had an interesting career and who is looking like a real good player right now, that'd be Anthony Anthony Duclair for sure. But uh, I'm still not sure I agree with the way that Ottawa let him go. But uh, like, if you if you're gonna let him go, you should you should say this for next week. But yeah, yeah. if you're gonna let if you're gonna let him go, you qualify him and trade him. That's all I say. Yeah, I think Duclair is one of these guys that, and I was very much of the we should have capped him. And definitely, if you watch the Sens now. Could you imagine if they put him with Stutzla and Connor Brown? Like how amazing that oh, yeah. would yeah. be. Oh my god. Yeah, I got all I got all the time in the world for Anthony Duclair. He doesn't get enough respect. Well, he's demanding it this season. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Between him, Huberdo for Hagee. Like that is an insane amount of firepower on that Florida team. Yeah. I know. And look at the, and look at Tim. We even said right from the beginning, we thought Florida was going to be top of our division and they're absolutely killing it right now. So yeah. Yeah. Good on the Florida Panthers, man. So yeah, you know, guys, this would be time of the episode where we would talk about how our week was going and we would recap last week's episode, but Mike, since you're our guest co-host for today's episode, and this is your second appearance on the show, we got to get a little bit of a recap on what you've been up to since your last appearance. Now, like I said, before we hit record, when we had you on last time, and it was only, I think it was about this time last year, we had you on for our season preview show where you represented the Calgary Flames. And at the time you were hosting Blasticast and a staff writer for the Flames Nation. And it's hard to believe how far you've really come in the last year. And I was looking at your Twitter, like, look at this. Managing editor at the Wings Nation, contributor for Flames Nation and Icelandics. But one thing that really caught my eye is you're the public address announcer for the Okotoks Oilers. So I got I to get you to recap all of this, man. Like, first of all, how did all of this happen for you over the past year? Okay, so it's it's been, yeah, it's been quite the year. Um, I think the biggest thing that happened is I covered the Stockton Heat. I was, uh, I was the, basically our beat guy on the Heat, and I was the only guy covering the Heat for most of that season you know, they were in Calgary playing out of the saddle home. And, and so I was up there in the press box, you know, covering every, I covered all 30 heat games they played last year. I talked to the, the coaches and the players after all 30 of those games. And it was just, you know, a matter of circumstance. I was the only one who wanted to do it basically. Um, and uh, so I got that and people started, you know, reading the stuff that I was writing because, you know, people are interested in prospects and I, I, st- I had stopped co-hosting the Blasty cast uh, for a couple of reasons. And uh, I just wanted to spend more time on my writing. And uh, I, I kept writing more and more. And, and eventually it got to the point where in the summer I was offered a contract uh, to write, you know, a little bit more and to write, to help out and contribute to a bunch of different places. So I write 
per- periodically I write about the Leafs, I write about the Jets, I write about the Vancouver Canucks. Primarily these days, I'm writing about the Flames and the Detroit Red Wings. And part of the reason they wanted to get me on this contract was because they needed somebody to sort of help out this Red Wings site. And, you know, it's, it's never really been their most viewed website that they have in their network. Um, so I just sure that there was a regular rhythm of content that was coming out. Just make sure we had something for every game. Uh, make sure we had something for every recall transaction, uh, you name it, every piece of news. And so when I was doing that, you know, I was realizing that I was you know, churning out, you know, uh, if I'm doing a hundred pieces a month, I was realizing that I was doing 50 of them about Detroit. And, uh, so I was sort of beginning to cover the Red Wings just as much as I was covering the Flames. And I reached out to our, uh, our boss uh, over at the network, a guy named David Quadrelli. And I said, uh, you know, I think, I think we need to, you know, have more of a structured chain of command here in Detroit. And so uh, I, 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 I was named the managing editor and, uh, and I now have three writers uh, who are, essentially reporting to me, I suppose. Um, but it's, it's more of a sort of a, a, a collaborative effort. Um, and uh, it's been quite an experience being able to edit other people's work and, and make sure everything on the site is running smoothly. It's, it sounds more impressive perhaps than it is um, being called the managing editor. It's just, you know, it's basically just me overseeing things and making sure everything's running smoothly. But uh, in terms of my actual writing, not a lot has changed in that respect Uh, with the Oilers. That was a case of me uh, in the summer being interested in getting more involved because I, I really want to do stuff in terms of broadcasting. I've been on Sportsnet 960 here in Calgary a few times as a guest, and that was just primarily born out of my heat coverage because they wanted somebody to talk to about the heat sometimes, about Flames prospects. And I wrote for Flames Nation, and a guy at 960 named Pat Steinberg writes for Flames Nation. And so it was just a pretty natural progression there. But I wanted to get more broadcasting experience, get more experience with my voice being used. And so I reached out to the two AJHL teams sort of in the vicinity here in in Calgary. Uh, I reached out to the Canucks and I reached out to the Oilers, Oak Dokes being, you know, basically to Calgary, what Canada is to Ottawa. And uh, so the Oilers reached out and said, uh, in, in response to my message and said, yeah, we have a few things. We'd, we'd love to talk to you down in our arena. And I, so I made the trek down to Oak Tokes. It's about a 30 minute drive from my house. And uh, I talked to the guy there about what I could possibly do. I said I could do play by play, but they got a guy named Gino DePaoli who's really good at it. And he's been there forever. I said I could do public address. I said I could do color commentary. I said I could do whatever. And they got back to me about a week later and they said that their PI, PA guy had left totally serendipitously uh and that i could do it and so that was just a, a really bang bang thing and it's been a ton of fun and uh it's just the sort of thing that i just do because it's a heck of a good time and it's a different vantage it's a vantage point for me to get a different view of the game different perspective the ajhl is not a league that i'd followed closely before and now i have seen one of the top prospects, probably the top AJHL prospect uh, for this year's draft about 30 times, uh, Rieger Lorenz, who's probably going to go in the first or second round. And, uh, you know, that's just a crazy, been a crazy experience. And uh, it's just, 
all of this, I would say, is just a lesson to anybody in sports media that, you know, there are opportunities out there. And, and in a lot of a lot of cases, they're not being broadcast. Um, the opportunities are maybe up for you to create because I knew nothing about the Oilers having a PA vacancy before I just asked. Um, I just sent an email to their contact page. I literally went on their contact form on their website and I was like, hey, I'm looking to do some stuff here. And two, two weeks later, I was their PA guy. And the, I didn't even have any, any experience doing PA, but I like to think I'm pretty good at it. And uh, yeah, it's just it was just a case of me having, I suppose, the initiative to uh, seek out that opportunity and it worked out. And that's all I can say. It's funny because we've kind of heard that from everyone we've spoken to that's worked in sports media. A lot of like Ian Mendez started out with the local baseball team. Uh, we had a few other guys say like I, Trevor Shackle saying that like, yeah, I just walked to the blog that I've been reading for a while. It's like, Hey, can I write for you guys? Sure. So it's like, yeah, if you want to get into this business, it sounds like you can't, you make your own way in. Well, yeah. And with, with aesthetics, um, the thing there is, you know, I saw that aesthetics was a very well put together site and they put out a sort of a casting call for people to be on this show that they do called the talk back, which is basically just reaction videos. I suppose it's not really reaction videos. It's more of a podcast format, but reacting to NHL videos or reacting to NHL jerseys. And um, I immediately thought this would be something that would be really good to get in on the ground floor of. This would be something that would be really, I think, a smart decision uh, to get maybe some more eyes on what I can do. And flash forward, maybe, I don't know how long it's been since their first video, six months. And I think they're up to close to 15,000 YouTube subscribers. Um, so it's, yeah. yeah, it's been, and I, a big, that, that's not me. That's not me doing that. That is our guy, Chris, uh, who runs the whole operation there. He has like an Emmy. Like he's, he's crazy, really talented. He's a TV producer in Seattle, I think. And uh, he has run that website for 10 years and he just, you know, decided to combine his two expertises and uh, it's just been the most natural fit for him possible. And so, uh, yeah, that was just me being like, this guy has got something that I yeah. think he can make really good and uh, worked out. Yeah, well, I know for myself, like Isletics is definitely a site on YouTube that I've been watching for a little while now. And I really like their their videos, especially on the jersey design stuff that they've been doing. Yeah. And I know that we covered on top of the hour, I don't know how long ago, maybe a year ago, when we're talking about the Canucks in like the mid to late nineties, they were looking at this redesign where basically they took what the San Jose Sharks were doing with teal and black and the Canucks were going to do that first. And the first thing I saw on the YouTube channel was that design. And I was like, wait a minute. I remember talking about that on the show. So that's kind of cool. Uh, one question I do have to ask Mike, just because again, going back to what you're saying about the old Togas Oilers, what was some of the challenges that you found being the public address announcer for the team? Oh boy. That's a good one. Um, there's a lot of challenges. Um, first of all, finding the right voice. You have to have, uh, I find actually I'm a little bit better at the job if I take a nap right before the game, because right after I wake up from a long sleep, my voice is lower. Um, and in fact, I just woke up from a nap right before I came on this show. And I, I don't know if my voice is lower right now, but it sounds like it to me at least. Um, and I find that that is when I really you know, get I don't know, this, this right tone of voice. Um, and that's a big part of it. Um, 
I just uh, player pronunciations. That's a big one. Um, you know, I'm pretty good at the Oilers, although there was there's a couple guys who I messed up, uh, not in terms of pure pronunciation, but syllable emphasis. Like we have a guy named Riley Bodnarchuk, and I call him Riley Bodnarchuk for the first two weeks of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, once you get a name, I I I've been covering or I've been following hockey for ten years, so there's not a whole lot of name pronunciations that really fool me at this point um but it's still something that can get me i would say the number one thing is just like statistics um and what i mean by that is you're announcing goals and goals and they have two assists and we have the official scoring that we get and it's not always correct (laughs) and so the decision has to be made if we announce the official or if we announce what we've seen and i sit in the back room where we have a video feed playing right in front of us and we get to watch the replays and i get to see all the assists happen in real time and then we get the assists radioed up to us and i would say probably 75 percent of the time what we get radioed up to us is different than what we see on the video um and that's not i mean the referees who announce or who get the assist have a ridiculously difficult job but that disparity has been very has made it very difficult at times to be like, do I just say it? Do I radio back and say this is what we saw? And because you got to do that all really quick, and then you got to announce the goal really quick, and you don't want to wait like a minute until after the goal has happened and the crowd's lost all of its energy to announce this goal and get them pump pumped back up again. That can be difficult. It's hard. It, like it's 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 harder than you think it might look at first. Um, but and the liners that you have to read like they're really quick uh there's a lot of really interesting syllables you have to read back to back uh pick up your 50 50 tickets at the kiosk on the concourse or buy them online at oktoksoilers.ca like it's it's like there's there's a lot of things that you can trip over and i trip over them all the time even the name of our arena we play at the pace on centennial arena and those last couple syllables in the word centennial uh that's one that i that i always trip over every single time welcome to the pace on centennial arena it's just um yeah it's just the little things the big things the overarching part of the job it's all really fun um but you just want to make yourself a little bit better every single time and uh that's just the things that i'm still working at getting really good at here well for even the little things like you're talking about even the name of the arena or like say the 50 50 stuff is that kind of stuff that you have to practice over and over and over again just to become like second nature to you probably i probably maybe i don't practice that sort of stuff enough um uh but we have a script like the script doesn't change so i would say that every subsequent every subsequent game is sort of my practice um in in respect um because like the 50 50 announcement hasn't changed at all since the beginning of the season and uh excuse me um you know there are there are words that i just keep you know, that I have, that I've gotten better at as the year has gone on. But like, if you look at the script that we have, I get a, I get the script for every single game that's in a hard copy that I get to look at and have it in my hand while I'm announcing. And I'm just reading off that page. And uh, it's with the exception of, you know, a couple of advertisements that I have to read. It's all the same. The only things that are different that I have to read at every game are the things that I don't read, I suppose, are the goal calls or the penalty minute calls or the, uh, or the final score those are and those are the fun things so you don't really mess them up but yeah no my practice is basically reading that script every game and making sure i'm getting better at it and better at it and better at it and my hope is you know you know 
I like to think that I'm already, you know, pretty good at it. I like to think that this is something that I'm, that I have some skills at, but uh, I just, I, I, I like to be able to improve upon something every single game. So Mike, as much as we can sit here all day and just chat about how you became like editing chief and all that stuff, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call top of the hour. So I know our listeners can't see it, but I mean, my dog kind of walked in here and now she's just sleeping on my arm. So. <laughs> she's a good girl. She's a good girl, guys. I think that's the third episode in the row she's tried to join in on. No, this is definitely the third episode for sure. Yeah. Isn't that right? Absolutely. So guys, we got to give a quick shout out to Boston Bruins defenseman, Mike Grizzlick, who became the fifth defenseman in franchise history to record five plus points during their game versus the Washington Capitals. Grizzlick Jones, an exclusive list that includes Glenn Wesley, Pat Eakin, and Hall of Famers, Ray Bork, and Bobby Orr. Wow. That's a yeah. hell of a list to company to keep, eh? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I remember I remember Matt Grizzlick was first coming into the league in the stories. I think he I think his dad was like a Zamboni driver at TD Garden or something. You know, that's and uh, I mean Talk about connections. I bet his dad maybe helped build that ice that Ray Bork was on back in the day. And now Matt Grizzlick is right there back at it on that ice doing the exact same thing. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, no kidding. It is crazy. Well, again, like for myself, even looking at that list and you look at some of the defensemen the Bruins have had over the years, like the Sedano Charas and guys like that. And yet Matt Grizzlick, of all people, becomes what, like the fifth defenseman in their history to even hit five plus points in a game? Five plus points in the game is an insane number, though, right? Because I think the record is nine. No, the record's ten. Ten, okay. Like, most people get four points in a game is an incredible game. I'm a little surprised Charlie McAvoy hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, you know, of this sort of latest wave of, you know, superstar young defenseman, I think McAvoy maybe has the lowest offensive upside to a degree, but, you know, he's really good. And, and, I mean, you're not going to... You're not going to, I think Grizzlick and McAvoy probably have similar offensive upside at the end of the day. Right. So, you know, it's something that, you know, Bruins, Bruins are a team that can take over games if they're on full cylinders. I mean, Charlie McAvoy getting five assists or maybe a goal plus four, that's not out of the cards. I don't think at any point, I think that could very well happen at some point. So we also got to give another quick shout out to Dallas Stars forward Joe Pavelski, who became the ninth player in franchise history to record five points in a game since the team's relocation to Dallas. Said list includes current stars Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, as well as Mike Ribeiro, Brad Richards, Russ Cortnell, Dave Gagne, Paul Calavini, and Hall of Famer Mike Madano. Mm, that's quite the list. Uh, Pavelski, that's going to be probably one of the best players traded at the deadline this year i remember when the uh, dallas Stars signed him to that contract i thought it was a little bit rich he had a iffy first year but he's been really good ever since and uh you know calgary is a team that i could see having some interest um if they remain competitive which i'm not convinced about but pavelski to whomever gets him is going to be a really big asset although to be fair pavelski was a major part of dallas's push to the Stanley cup final in that first year he was there. Yes, so. this is correct. Yes, that is, that is correct. Like after he sort of had an underwhelming regular season, but yeah. after that, you know, 13 goals in the playoffs, that's, whew, that is pretty darn good. Yeah. Like once he settled in, he, yeah. he was good to go. And this is kind of the incredible thing with 
a lot of those guys who were in and around San Jose for the last 10 years and then finally disappeared. So like Joe Thornton, Sir Patrick Marlowe's and now Joe Pavelski on top of that, these guys are built to last like Pavelski's like a top finisher and in the upper echelons of expected points at 37 Marlowe finally Marlowe's probably finally on the way out. Uh, Joe Thornton is still around in his forties. Like this is insane that this one team has all of these players who are lasting past the best before date of even the best NHLers. Yeah, that's like, part of why Logan, Logan Couture is a perfect example yeah. of that too, right? It's part of why I want the Flames to look at Tomas Hurdle so badly is because I think he's exactly the kind of player who could really elevate his game as he continues to get older, and you know he's he's a heck of a player. No kid. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchand moved into a tie for 14th on the all-time shorthanded goals list with 33. Marchand, drafted 71st overall by the Boston Bruins in 2006, had recorded 19 goals, 19 assists for 38 points in 28 games for Boston at the time of the story. Can we just quickly talk about how great that 2006 draft class was for the Bruins where they land Phil Kessel at five, they land Milan Lucic, and then they land Brad Marchand all in the same draft. Well, you know, I think Brad Marchand might have the best case out of those three to go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I'm not even saying that, you know, just to make a hot take. I think there's actually a decent chance there uh, with the way that he's come to, you know, really elevate his game in the latter back half of his career. Very unique skill set. And it would make everybody in Toronto collectively lose their minds. But Um, what's so fun is that he may very well be one of the best forwards in the league. Oh, he is. I don't think that's like a not, where, very well. Like top I think that three. Is a, he absolutely like is. Oh, top like, three might be a bit of a stretch for me, but I think top five or even top 10, you know. Like it's one. insanity. And I was going to say, I'm surprised that he's got a shorthanded goal record because the way the media portrays him, he's always out there licking people and getting himself in the box. Because <laughs> he does play yeah, with that edge. Can. Yeah, yeah. But no, that is one hell of a graph class. I mean, holy mackerel. Kessel, Lucic, Marchand, those are three outstanding wingers. And uh, I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that, really, in terms of how their careers have been. My goodness. Now we're going to close out the shout outs by giving the final one to former Minnesota Wild defenseman Nate Prosser, who announced his retirement at the age of 35. Prosser spent parts of 11 seasons at the NHL with three teams, the Minnesota Wild, St. Louis Blues, and Philadelphia Flyers, recording 11 goals, 38 assists for 49 points in 360 career games. So, yeah, not really the most noteworthy of careers, but you know what? When you play well over 300 games in the NHL, that's still pretty remarkable because a lot of guys don't even get to that point well you know a lot of calgary flames fans uh make jokes about how long michael stone is stuck around as a depth (laughs) defenseman for this team because he's really been here forever uh since the 2017 trade deadline and you know he keeps signing one-year deals gets bought out signed again you know it's 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 been quite an quite a run for michael stone here in calgary but looking at a guy like nate prosser as a depth defenseman for the minnesota wild this is a guy who was there, got there in 2009, undrafted, and his last season with the Wild was in 2019. You know, like, like, like how do you stick around with one organization? He had a brief soiree with the St. Louis Blues in 2017-18 that lasted one game, 
and then he went right back to Minnesota for another two seasons after he'd already spent eight seasons with the Wild. And it's like, I wonder what he thought of the Blues. Like, you know, he's been with one organization for eight years. He goes to St. Louis. I don't know. Maybe he just was like, this sucks. And just, you know, has to get waved again and goes right back to Minnesota. I saw what they called Pete's and just said, fuck it, I'm out of here. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I mean, oh boy. Uh, You know, playing on the Minnesota Wild for so long, though, I mean, I don't know. That was pre Kaprizov Wild, too. And that was post Gabrick Wild. Like, you know, the the different. You, yeah, you can look at the eras of the wild and you go Gabrick and then you go Prosser and then you go Capriza. That's what you do. That's those are those are your Minnesota Wild teams right there. <laughs> that is that is quite the run he had. Good for him. Um, congratulations to him. Hope he has a healthy retirement. Now we're going to move away from the NHL and talk about international hockey. The IIHF Council has confirmed that individual players under NHL contracts will not be allowed to break rank to attend the Olympics, nor can, can, nor can players be loaned out for the Olympics. IIHF Luke Tardif stated that the co- cooperation between the IIHF, NHL, NHLPA, and the IOC is vital to the continued success and development of ice hockey globally while also stating that any action taken by any stakeholder which jeopardizes this cooperation will not be tolerated. So, of course, this is coming after, and going back to what we were saying with Brad Marchand, the Instagram post that he made and the NHL making these decisions, like, yeah, we're not sending these guys to the Olympics, and there was just so many, so many hurdles they would have had to jump through. And honestly, it sucks. It sucks because, again, I think sending the best players in the world to the Olympics – really does help it globally but you know what nothing they could really do right and it sucks but i mean what could you really do well it's the sort of thing that really confused me for a sec there where they were announcing the long lists for teams like team canada and i was seeing guys like owen power or not owen power i was seeing guys like mason mctavish and cole perfetti on them and i was like well hold on a second these guys already have entry-level contracts uh what <laughs> they, they shouldn't be able to go you know perfetti's in the ahl and mctavish i guess is in the o but like still he's on an nhl contract and it looks like that's going to be the case he can't go um so yeah like it's going to be interesting there's a part of me that really loves these types of tournaments where it's not not best on best because it's it's fun you know you're going to see some different players I, for one, am going to be so excited to watch Josh Hosang on the top line for Team Canada. I think that's going to be outstanding. I really hope he makes that team and makes a big impression. Um, yeah, like there are guys who I'm going to be who I haven't seen in years who are going to be I'm going to be on TSN, and it's you know it's going to be outstanding. I'm excited to see it. Same time, sucks that there's no NHL players, but there's ways to get around that. You know, they're going to have a World Cup probably coming up soon. Um, and you know, for all the people who say these days that the world cup is no fun, I think that's a lot of that is because the last one was kind of gimmicky, uh, with team North America, team Europe. I don't like that aspect of it. There was a time back where the Canada cup, the world's cup was the international tournament for hockey. Uh, there's a big reason why you ask fans of a certain vintage, what, the best international tournament was growing up. And they'll say it was the 87 Canada cup where uh, Dale Howard, Chuck Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux were on the first line. And uh, that's the tournament like for the Olympics being the gold standard of international hockey tournaments is pretty new thing. And I don't see a reason why 
we can't have the return of a World's Cup and have it be just as good of an international experience as the Olympics have been. Um, I think that's something that could very easily be done. And I could see it, you know, even maybe even being this summer or next, you know, why not? Yeah, because I know that I think Gary Bettman has talked to the IOC about whether they should move ice hockey to the Summer Olympics, which kind of a weird thing. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, ridiculous. I, it is ridiculous. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think a World Cup would be much better suited for these guys, given that they're playing in September, not during the NHL season. But I've always maintained with the guys going to the Olympics, it's like, okay, look, instead of shutting the league down for two weeks, send these guys to the Olympics, call the guys up that you replace them, and just continue to play. I've never understood why you've got to completely just shut down. It's like, okay. The best because goal. our team has sucked most of the time that we've been sending players to the Olympics because the obvious argument is, well, why the hell should my these games count when three of my best players are gone and you've got your best players? And yeah. that's I, the issue. You also get, oh, why the fuck would I go watch underpowered NHL when those guys are at the Olympics? And finally, as the NHL owner and the GM, why the hell would I let these players go and watch dollars walk out my door? It makes no business sense. It makes no sense from the fans to have both at the same time. It makes no sense for the players or the teams. You can't do that. It just the makes Arizona no sense. Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes would love it because Phil Kessel would become the best player in the league. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with Tim on this one. It's, uh, it'd be, it'd be a, an interesting business proposal, to say the least. Honestly, I'm just looking at it from this way. is like... Because think of just how interesting the swerves and everything would happen in the NHL. Say you have the best team, they send the best players over, and then a team that's on the bubble fighting for the playoffs, their best players don't go, and they can fight fight to get into the playoff race. I think it would be well, what does that what does that mean? What does that say about the integrity of that NHL season? Then, if you have True. the if you have the if you have the trajectories of teams significantly altered by a tournament that has nothing to do with the teams, you know, it's like, it'd be, it would be hard to justify for the league. It would be, it would be, it would be a, uh, <laughs> I don't think you could get away with it. I don't think anybody no. would, would be in favor of it, to be honest. Well, the other no. thing is that then spills over to the rest of your regular season games. Like, why would I bother to go pay and watch this when I know that, in a few weeks, they're just going to, the good players are going to be at the cool Olympic tournament instead. Like yeah. it, all of the external things are going to impact your on ice product. And you could tell that if a lot of guys are actually looking at the Olympics instead of the kind of the regular season, maybe they don't try as hard. True. And no, I, I get that point. And this is why maybe I'm not running an angel franchise, but you know, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. It's probably not the best way to look at it, but you know, it is what it is. So we're going to move on from international hockey and the next couple of stories. Let me tell you, it's definitely not fun this season talking about league stories when you had the Chicago Blackhawks stuff coming out. And now another lawsuit has been filed by two former NHL off-ice officials whom alleged they were fired for reporting a colleague who used racist and sexually charged language for years while working for the league. Said officials, David Wakalock and James Watkins, whom were both fired on February 27, 2020, made the allegations against former colleague Pat DiLorenzo Jr. 
Were those the guys that got axed? No, that was Tim Peel that got axed during uh, game management gate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's it's a pretty gross story, uh, all things considered, and yeah. it's just uh, there's not a whole lot you can say that hasn't already been said about the culture in this league, and uh, it's just horrible. It's really just horrible, um, and I uh, hope the justice gets served in this situation. Yeah, we'll see where this goes with the courts. Well, the fact is that, it, again, and you can look at somebody like Bob Murray, where it took Bob Murray so long to be outed for some of the toxic and abusive behavior he was doing in Anaheim, and now you get stuff like this. It's like, I tell you, the NHL just continues over and over and over again to get black eyes, which it's hard to come back from the, these kind of stories. Well, the NFL manages. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. But I mean, again, when you look <clears throat> Major League Baseball manages, FIFA manages. If yeah, you're making enough money on entertainment, nobody Hollywood manages. Yeah, I know. That's but... the thing. The money talks louder than the justice. Yeah, it's all a bunch of it's all rigged. Yeah, but I mean, again, like especially with the NHL, what they went through with the Kyle Beach situation earlier this year. Definitely not a good look. And this next story is definitely not a good look again for the NHL. Former NHLer Reed Boucher pled guilty on December 13th for sexually assaulting his 12-year-old billet sister in 2011 when he was 17 years old playing for the U.S. National Team Development Program. Boucher, who is currently playing for Yaroslav Lakomoto of the KHL, spent parts of six seasons in the NHL with three teams, the New Jersey Devils, Nashville Predators, and Vancouver Canucks, recording. 20 goals, 22 assists for 42 points in 133 career games. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's not, there's really not, not a whole lot to say other than it's just horrible. Like it's, it's, it's depraved. And, uh, you know, not only what Boucher did, which is really depraved, but the justice or the lack thereof that's being levied in this case, you know, the plea deal that he was for reasons unknown allowed to enter. Um, you know, to reduce his sentence from 25 to life to zero. Um, you know, that's, that is a gross difference. You know, yeah. there, there should be a reduction. Like if, 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 if there should be a reduction and I'm not saying there should be, you don't go from 25 to life to zero. Like that is that, that in any circumstance, that seems a little bit strange to me. Um, and I'm not even sure there should have been a reduction to begin with. Yeah, because the initial um, sentencing was 25 to life, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And yeah, maybe just stick with that. You know, I mean, what what are the special circumstances at play here? Do you want to just say that part out loud or like it's just I, I think it is a uh, I think it's pretty horrendous. And uh, I think the I think what Boucher has done is just despicable and uh I, I don't have many more words to say than that. No, yeah. absolutely not. And I think for myself, like when I was reading this story, the one thing that really came to mind is what's going to be the, what's going to come after this, because we're definitely going to get probably get more stories about this. And I know for people who listen to say spit and chicklets or watch or listen to some of these hockey podcasts, it's a very well-known thing in the junior hockey community of these guys that play in the dub or the O and they are having sexual relations with their billet mom, like, you know, stuff like this, but this stuff is just so sick. And she's fucking 12. 
Like Jesus. Shit's fucked. Yeah, 12 is that's horrible. Like that's just horrible. The thing that also stood out to me is that this story should not have been behind a paywall. Um, just like it should not have been, like just from a journalism perspective. Well, I think um, Rick, Rick Westhead, I think he posted it on TSN, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he he eventually got uh he got hold of the free press report, but it was a, an original report from the Detroit Free Press, and that was the story, and it took a while for people to get wind of this story after it was published. It took like a whole day for people to really realize that, oh my, this is really, really gruesome and terrible. And it was because this story was hidden from view unless you paid to see it. And it's like, I understand why journalism costs money. I really do. And I think, you know, but there are some instances where stories should not, you should not have to pay to read them. And that is one of those instances because I think it really hurt how the story spread. Yeah. And I think if it had spread quicker, there might've been more that the community would have learned from it quicker. Um, so that's just my two cents on that aspect of it. So we're going to move away from talking about this stuff. And we're actually going to talk again. We're going to go back to the NHL for a second. The Arizona Coyotes $1.7 billion plan to build a new arena in Tempe, Arizona is not expected to get votes needed by Tempe city council reports indicate that the city council are leaning towards though, as the team's financial struggles have been the reason for their apprehension so i just want to take the range here for a second here guys when i was reading this story this definitely i would say this definitely signals the death knell of the arizona coyotes as we see in the state of arizona and while people would say oh that really sucks for the coyotes fans and everything i just gotta say has the coyotes really ever given the state of arizona a reason to care about them if we were if we're being honest because <laughs> They had the playoff run at the beginning of That's the 2010s. It. That's it. That's all they have to say. Because honestly, when you look at their history since they've been in Arizona in 1996, they've really been just overshadowed by the teams in their own state. The Cardinals went to the Super Bowl in 2009. The Diamondbacks came for being an expansion team to win the World Series. The Phoenix Suns were, what, three years removed from an NBA Finals appearance in the 90s. They come in, Steve Nash joins the Suns, and now they're a dominant team in the NBA. Where, What has the Coyotes really done to deserve being – I don't want to say deserve, but what have they really done to really endear themselves to the fan base? Because when they arrived in Arizona in the 90s, sure, they had a good team there, but it was a pretty top-heavy team that always got bounced out in the first round. And then you go into the 2000s, they kept missing the playoffs. They couldn't draft – they could draft players, but they couldn't develop them. You look at – a Kyle Turris, you look at a Daniel Briere, you look at Anthony Duclair. These are all guys who they drafted and went on to be developed by other teams. They really, the only thing that they can hang their hat on is that surprise playoff run in 2012. The only for the thing... record, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, for the record, Duclair was drafted by the Rangers, but, oh. uh, <laughs> but um, that's not a big deal. Um, yeah. I would say what I will say is, I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, and it's not that they're not going to leave the Gila river arena because I do think they're going to leave the Gila river arena. But I think like, I, I think that for one, the Tempe proposal uh, that is not officially dead yet. And we'll see where that goes. Um, we'll see. I think, you know, they need just one of those two undecided votes to have it go. And so it's, it's, it's maybe there, but we'll see. Um, I, I, I think, there's a good chance that it doesn't go through because obviously they've made so many unforced errors with those payments. Um, that's just, a, you know, how can you miss out on that? Like, how can you sway the, the, the base that you need to convince 
in such in in the wrong direction like that months before you need them it's just that's that's an unforced error but um that being said i don't think they're leaving arizona i think um there's a lot uh, there have been a lot of rumors recently that it might be the arizona veterans memorial coliseum uh, where they play out of at least for the next couple of seasons, um, which is going to be really interesting because it's a lot closer to where their actual fans are. Um, it's actually in Phoenix proper. Uh, it's downtown Phoenix. And uh, if you have never seen this Coliseum, it seats about 16,000 people and it looks almost exactly like the Scotiabank Saddle. Um, it was built <laughs> in 19, it was built in 1968. It's really old. And uh, it most recently hosted the Donald Trump election audit in 2020. <laughs> um yeah, i'm not kidding oh that's incredible but, um i know um yeah no the arizona coyotes arena saga is just fascinating for so many reasons because it's either there or it's the diamondbacks field um where they might play out of and uh the tempe proposal for now might look like it's on the rocks i don't think they're going to quebec they're not they're not going to quebec no um i i still don't think they're going to houston i like i really don't um i just don't see the appetite um, in Houston and not in terms of not in terms of not in terms of a fan base because I think there could be a fan base not in terms of their maybe not being a willing owner I just don't see the, the willingness for the NHL to leave they have marketing opportunities in Arizona in terms of being able to cross platform the Coyotes with gambling because uh, I think the Coyotes are one of the only teams in the league that has a gambling license uh, or and um that is that is the potential to be a big money spinner if they can figure out the right way to utilize it. So I, I think the the NHL is okay with the way that the Coyotes, you know, the finances situation there for now. In a couple of years, maybe not. But with this owner that they've recently acquired, I think they're going to give it a couple more years in an interim venue because they're not going back to Glendale. They don't want to go back there. The City council doesn't want them there. It's not going to happen. No, but I think Scottsdale's dead play, too. Yeah, I think having them play a couple of years out of downtown Phoenix, even if it's not in the nicest brand new spanking arena, I think they want to try that for a couple of years before they are ready to finally kill that team. And you know, saying what they've brought to the NHL, I got two words for you. And Senators fans hate them, but it's Austin Matthews. And you know what's funny is that's exactly what I was going to say. Like the main thing that's ever come out of the Coyotes in a positive way was Austin Matthews. If the Coyotes weren't there, Austin Matthews would probably be a basketball player today or a baseball player. And not just that. I don't think that with, without the Coyotes being there, I don't think ASU hockey is nearly as good as it is today. Um, Arizona state is, has an outstanding hockey program and uh, that has grown exponentially over the past, you know, decade to the point where some of the very best college players in hockey play out of there. And uh, we're seeing even guys who guys, you know, like Matthew Nyes, who looks like he should have been a first round pick this past year. He's again, he's from Scottsdale. Uh, Excuse me. And he plays at the university of Minnesota, but there are guys who are coming out of Arizona who are going to be really good hockey players, guys, even like Josh Doan. Um, And, and if, if the coyotes hadn't relocated there in 96, I don't think there'd be nearly the same quota of players coming out of Arizona into the prospect ranks that we see today. And that might seem like a small thing, but it, it is a thing and it's worth mentioning. It kind of starts 
building a permanent hockey culture there, right? Because you've got these yeah. kids that are coming in and then they're going to have kids, they're going to have friends. And that just starts kind of building the brand, the awareness of, okay, this is a thing that we can go out and do. And I think maybe having them at uh, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, it's at the state fair. It is. Like that's a pretty good location. Even if the arena is a little old, like it works. It's an outstanding location. Yeah. They need, they need to fix it up. And I think, you know, that's going to be tricky. They haven't made any formal announcements on this yet, but um, it's the sort of thing where they could probably in six months, you know, cobble up some, some fixes to like, there's some, there's some, there's parts of the roof that need to be fixed, patched up. There's parts of, you know, the interior that need to be cleaned up, but um, you know, as a temporary location, maybe leading into the retro feel, it's something where, you know, if the team starts to turn the corner a little bit, which I could see maybe happening, uh, with Dylan Gunther coming in next season or maybe the season after. Uh, there could be a little bit of buzz. Looking rationally at the league from an outside perspective, at the different markets in the league, there's no reason why Phoenix shouldn't be able to support a team. There really isn't. You know, we're seeing teams like Carolina and Tampa doing just fine, and those are smaller markets than Phoenix. Um, it's about building the right team. And the Coyotes, for lack of a better room, have sucked. They have sucked, sucked, sucked for the last 25 years. And, you know, if, if the Coyotes played out of Calgary and they had that same 25 years, the Flames wouldn't be here anymore. You know, the, or they, they would be on the verge of relocating. Uh, whereas, you know, the Flames have been marginally better. Um, I don't want to say the Flames have been a, a bastion of success, but they're secure, even if their mm-hmm. arena deal right now is a little bit icy, but they're not going anywhere. The Coyotes, if they were the Carolina Hurricanes over the past two decades, they're right as rain. I'm yeah. just going to say it. They would have, they would be selling out Gila river arena right now. And they would probably be there for the next few years, at least. And that is the biggest thing. It's not about Arizona, not being a good hockey market. It's not about Arizona, not having fans. It's about the team. It's the team's fault, not the city's fault. It's not the fans fault. It's the team being a really horrible team. First and foremost, not about where, what arena it's playing at or where it's situated. And that's something they got to fix. And I like what they're doing with the new management there um, in terms of stockpiling picks, draft, making some really good draft picks. I like uh, Gunther. I like Janice Moser. I like, you know, whoever they're going to pick in this upcoming next draft is going to be huge for them. And uh, I hope, it, I hope they get Shane, right. They, that their fans deserve it. And uh, from there I'm fascinated, you know, because maybe they move if they move to Houston, I hope they keep the same branding because I like the coyotes branding quite a lot, but uh I kind of want to see them play out of that 1968 retro barn for a couple of years. I think that'd be really cool. I'd go see a game there. I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would take a trip. You would fly down, down to Phoenix. I, I would. I think I Actually, would. Yeah. Cause I think, I think that'd be a really unique experience seeing a 2022, 23 NHL game played out of a arena that was built in 1968 and looks like the saddle. Well, what's kind of cool 30 degrees. is that you could, if they're successful there, you probably retrofit the arena instead of moving the team because if that's, you succeed there, something. it's brilliant. And you just, well, that's you, something, right? Yeah. Cause like, it's, it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of when the Islanders moved to Nassau Coliseum again, they moved into this arena that by all modern <laughs> standards was basically derelict and they threw sort of $60 million at it. And they put on a beautiful new exterior facade, uh, made it look, you know, like it was brand new. 
Um, now, I don't think you do that with the Coliseum because part of its appeal is the retro aesthetic of the saddle dome like roof and the, the you know, the, the 60s paint and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But well, you can um, do structural re- reinforcements and upgrades so you can have a modern structure under a classic facade. Yeah, if it Easy. works, if it works, then that's something where I can see them being like, yeah, let's do this. Let's make it work. Uh, let's make it work even better as we continue to grow into this core that we have. Um, that is how it works. That is how the Coyotes, that is the Coyotes path forward. The Coyotes path outside is to go to Houston or wherever and, and, and try and make it work there. But I don't get the sense that this ownership group is that interested in doing that. I get the sense that they want to try to take a kick at the can here. And if it doesn't work, then, well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, they need to get that that on ice product in the way and well just the the staff instability in phoenix phoenix arizona cannot be overstated no no especially with shika just fucking off back to private equity that was weird well that did that that did damage yeah no absolutely i mean yeah they it seems like every time the coyotes look like they're stable for like a moment like like under shika i thought they you know they were building something okay they, you know, they made the playoffs. They had a deep team, even if it wasn't super, you know, the, if even if the high end aspects of it weren't great, but they had a deep team and I liked what they were building. I liked, I, you know, I, I thought the Clayton Keller contract was good. I thought the Jacob Chikrin contract was good. And then Shaka leaves and everything falls apart and the arena falls apart. And where are we now? You know, it's just like, Every single time, 2012 may make the Western Conference final and everything falls apart almost immediately after. And it's like, all right. I mean, two, step, two, st- two steps forward, five steps back is sort of the motto for the Coyotes, I think, over the years. And, uh, you know, maybe one day that'll reverse. They're hardly the first team in the NHL to have financial troubles. They're hardly the first team in the NHL to be homeless. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning played three years out of the baseball stadium in Tampa back in the 90s. But the Coyotes kind of do it in their own special way that is, I think, more severe than any other team to an extent. And uh, that's what, part of why I like them so much, because they're just fascinating. I, 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 if I, I cover the Flames, I cover the Red Wings, but if there's a team in the NHL that I follow as a fan, it is the Coyotes, first and foremost, because the content is unmatched with the Coyotes. Well, yeah, the it's, content is unmatched. It's yeah, shit happens to the got. NHL team. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's unpredictable. It's chaos. It is the chaotic team, and I love it. What's incredible is they, they've they lost almost as many games this season as they did last season in less games. Yeah. Yep. It's incredible. Hey, that, that was the goal. That was the goal. <laughs> and, if, and you know what? If they hadn't signed Kuralva Vamelka, I think they'd have lost even more games. Uh, he's sort of been their only good player for a lot of the season. Um, Not Phil the Thrill? Uh, yeah, I mean, his shot's kind of gone, but yeah. uh, what are you going to do? 30. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're going to move our attention away from the unstableness of the Arizona Coyotes and talk about a team of, I would say at one point, a model of success with the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings have named Nick Lidstrom their vice president of hockey operations. Lidstrom drafted 53rd overall by Detroit in 1989, spent his entire NHL career with Detroit, recording 264 goals, 878 assists for 1,142 points, 
in 1,564 games, winning seven Norris trophies, four Stanley Cups, an Olympic gold medal in 2006, while also becoming the first European in NHL history to win the Conn Smythe Trophy in 2002 and first European captain to win the Stanley Cup in 2008. Okay, so, you know, and I just spent a few minutes there and I just talked about that. What's the one thing I didn't mention at all? A managerial career. Because Nicholas Lidstrom has never worked in the NHL other than being a player. And, you know, we talk about a boys club, the boys clubs in LA, Chicago, Boston, Detroit seems to be a team that's looking to steer that way where Stevie Y comes in as the GM. And now he's hiring Nick Lidstrom to be the vice president of hockey operations when he's not had any, I don't know, not any success, but any kind of managerial role at all in his career. To be fair. Nick Lindstrom as a player was known for his hockey IQ and sure. leadership on the ice. And those are qualities of a player that would reasonably translate into managerial success Wrong. because it's an ability to plan an ability Kresge to rec- head coach. There you go. <laughs> That's coaching, not management. Coaching is part of management though. That's the thing. Yeah. It's diff- It's very different. True. I- coaching is all about, Coaching is all about being a good communicator. And I'm not sure Gretzky was ever the kind of guy who communicated with his words really well on the ice. He was just the kind of guy who knew how other players worked and had that sixth sense that sort of allowed him to set up guys, even when they weren't expecting to get set up. And I don't think that really translated to him being able to explain how he did that or to explain how other players should do it. He just kind of just knew. And I think that's maybe not always the sort of thing that, translates when you're dealing with players now when you're managing players when you're a manager i think that's maybe something that can work a little bit better but the thing that i will say with lidstrom is i'm not sure how much of like uh, of of an input he's going to have i'm not convinced because well i'm not it's not that i'm not convinced it's just I'm, I'm just i'm not entirely sure because the thing is you mentioned a lot about being the first european this and this and this he's also going to be i think the first guy to work like as an NHL in an NHL front office in such a, like a, a, a vaulted leadership position, mm-hmm. VP of hockey ops, but he's not going to even be working out of Detroit. He's working out of Europe. He's going to be staying in Sweden and basically collaborating over zoom um, as part of this position. And it's going to be interesting to see how his input is translated into actual actions by the front office. Cause he's not going to be really in the boardrooms. I mean, he, he's going to be there, but he's like, I think Iserman said in the, said in the press conference, he's basically just going to be chatting with him over zoom. And I'm, you know, that's, that's something that we've never really seen in the NHL before. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that configuration actually pays off. Um, what Lidstrom specifically does if maybe he'll be, I mean, is he just maybe going to be like a glorified scout, like going to see SHL games and saying, this guy's really good. This guy's really good. Or is he going to like have any input on day-to-day hockey ops? Like that's, that's something that I don't think has been adequately explained to my liking. Um, Cause I'm, I'm really curious about that aspect of it. Honestly, I'm just very skeptical of Nick Lindstrom in that kind of role, because again, that's a pretty high role to take for somebody who's never had any sort of role in any managerial position in hockey, but you're absolutely right. It wasn't very well explained what exactly he'll be doing because a, he's going to be over in Europe, but if he's maybe using a scout, say with the Swedish elite league, maybe he's as well for Stevie Weiler, but I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical, but given how Nick's career was, and he seems to be a very, very good communicator. If you ever watch any interviews with him as a player, I think he's going to do well in that, but I'm going to hold, try and hold judgment, but I'm going to remain skeptical 
on the hiring front. I think given Detroit's given Detroit's to trajectory, those are the kinds of syllables that I trip over. Uh, given Detroit's trajectory, God, there's a lot of trust there. Yeah. Um, it'll be easy for Lidstrom to get credit, you know, because I think Detroit's going to be a really good team for the next 20 some years, you know, well, with Moritz Sider yeah. and Lucas Raymond. Um, holy mackerel. I, I think, you know, he's, it's kind of like what I did when I got on with aesthetics. He sort of got on, got on the ground floor of a really good <laughs> operation here. Uh, and he could, you know, just get away with maybe, I don't know, you know, I don't know what his contributions will be, but he's going to be there for some really good teams and, uh, you know, credit to him, I guess. But the thing that is going to be really interesting to see how Detroit manages is, um, the guy who I'm interested in is Philip Zadina. Uh, Cause I think he's going to get traded. Uh, I think so at some point here in the near future. And, you know, when Eisenberg was with Tampa, he had a guy who was a really good winger played for the Halifax Mooseheads had a <laughs> interesting transition to the pro ranks. And he saw the warning signs with this player pretty quickly. And he traded him almost right away. Uh, and that was Jonathan Druin. And, uh, I think Philip Zadina might be a similar guy who Eiserman and Lidstrom might have to find the right fit for in the trade market because I think right now his trade value exceeds his on-ice value. And if Detroit moves him in the right way, I think they could get back a guy who could help them a lot more. Um, Alice, the search trade. With, yeah, exactly. And the other thing with Detroit is, and yeah, maybe Lidstrom is the kind of guy who can bring in that prospect defenseman to supplement their core. The other thing with Detroit is the defenseman that they already have, they have Sider, they have Edvinson. Lindstrom working with Simon Edvinson could be really cool, but they need more. Gustav Lindstrom is, you know, he's he's interesting, he's okay, but they need more. Uh, you know, they're not going to keep Nick Letty. He's been really not very good for them this season. Danny DeKaiser's going, you know, Mark Stahl is going to be gone. So Detroit really needs some help on the back end going forward. And if it means bringing Lindstrom in as a defensive consultant, you know, to coach even, you know, young defensemen, not coach, but, you know, offer advice, offer his insights to the Red Wings plethora of young defensemen as they continue to draft them. That could be really valuable. I'm, I'm interested to see how that pans out, you know, see if we hear any about Lidstrom's insight on dealing with the Red Wings young defensemen, because that could be very valuable. Los Angeles Kings have named former Montreal Canadiens GM Mark Bergevin as senior advisor to GM Rob Blake. Bergevin was fired as Canadiens GM on November 28th, 2021. Not a bad hiring, to be perfectly honest, because Bergevin's not going to be in that kind of, he's not going to be the man in charge, but he's definitely going to be an advisor for Rob Blake as he's trying to rebuild the LA Kings. And, I think the LA rebuild, I think it's coming along nicely. It's just, you know, you need the Quinton Byfields, the guys that needs to really step up and do well in LA. But honestly, I don't mind the hiring of Bergeron in LA, to be honest. Yeah, I do. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get into it um, for a couple of reasons. For one, I don't think Bergeron was that good at managing the Canadians. And maybe in oh, a lesser role, theoretically, theoretically, he might have input that is somewhat valuable. But also... I just can't talk about Bergevin without talking about his last first round draft pick. Um, I thought it was pretty gross. And uh, that's the kind of guy who I think we need less of in hockey. So, you know, the fact, you know, and, and he was also around for the 2010 Blackhawks thing too. Um, you know, as much as he likes to say that he denies any involvement, but I think, you know, Bergevin, 
look, the Canadians under him had success. You can't deny it. They went to the Stanley Cup final. I think maybe they stumbled a bit ass backwards into it, but they made it. But after they made the Stanley Cup final and they drafted 31st overall, they drafted a guy who I don't think should ever play in the NHL. And to me, that makes Bergevin complicit. And uh, so that's that's somebody who I'm not a huge fan of seeing getting another job. Um, but that's just my perspective on it. And uh, that's that's all I got to say. That's fair. That's fair. So we did talk about Rob Blake for a second, and we're going to talk about him because the LA Kings have signed GM Rob Blake to a multi-year contract extension. Blake joined the Kings front office before the 2013-2014 season, serving as assistant GM and later vice president slash GM while acting as GM of the Kings AHL affiliates, the Manchester Monarchs, and the Ontario Reign. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I think is you know merited. There's no reason to move on from Blake at this point. Um, with the way that the Kings are trending, they're trending well. Quentin Byfield still has a lot of room to grow as a player, and I think he'll be just fine. And the, the way that the Kings have drafted, I think, has been pretty okay. I mean, Alex Turcotte is going to be a player. Uh, Tobias Bjornfot already is. Arthur Kaliev's probably going to be a pretty good player for a while. Helgi Grands, Brock Faber, I like them a lot. Casper Seaman Teibel. I mean, the Kings just have. Here's the thing. The Kings maybe don't have that. That I mean, Byfield, I guess, is their, their star prospect. After that, though, they just got a lot of guys who I like their odds of making it. Velarde, Anderson Dolan, you know, Kupari, Fagimo. You know, there's just guys who have upside, undeniable upside. I mean, even this past year, Francesco Pinelli and Samuel Hellenius, they would have been guys who I could have seen going late in the first round. Um, and they got them in the second. So the depth of prospects there, the depth of quality prospects there, I think is enviable for sure. Mm-hmm. And what Blake's, what Blake has assembled, I think is something that any rebuilding team would want to have. So you can disagree with some of the moves he's made, but uh, I think for now, Blake sticking around in LA, uh, building a hockey team, I think he's done a, an okay job and I, I don't have any objections to him sticking around. Well, even on top of the prospect pool that he's assembled in LA, we also can't forget he brought Philip Dondino. And that was a guy yeah. that Dondino was a guy I I thought, okay, yeah, he played pretty well for Montreal in that f- finals run, but I don't really know what his market value will be. And I had a few teams on the mind when he hit the market. And then I saw LA through that contract at him. And I was like, good for him. Like, good for Philip Dondino, man. He got paid and he got his term. So. Can't complain about that. Yeah, the Deneau contract, it's it goes down very easily for what he brings, and it's it sets someone up to fill in like as that veteran center once uh Anze Kopitar finally hangs them up. And yeah, I think, the group of veterans yeah. they've assembled and kept in LA during their teardown, I think it's a good group of veterans to bring people through back, kind of guide the young guys, because you have guys like Alex Adler that they brought in externally, you've got you've got Dustin Brown, Kopitar, and Dowdy from the cup runs. So you've got, and then you've got Dano who did his own cup run there too. So you've got a good set of veterans to teach the young guys what to do. Right. I'm a little skeptical on the Dano contract, but I, I still, I think he's a good player to have around for rebuilds. Um, I think it's a little long for my liking. I'm not sure if he really did enough last season with Montreal to command a six-year deal, but good for him. Victor Everton trade was really smart. I thought that was a really good ad for them. Uh, three years left on his deal. I mean, one of the best shooters in the league for my money. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, Alex Edler, I mean, it's a shame that he's injured, but um, I mean, that's just a, a really solid quality defenseman. Canucks fans who were okay with them losing Edler and signing Tucker Poolman to replace him. <laughs> that was, uh, that was, uh, that, that was, that, there's not a whole lot that I can say about that one other than I was right <laughs> on Twitter at the time. There's not a whole lot, there's not a whole lot of times that I can say that I was right about something, but I was right with all the Canucks fans on Twitter who added me because I, I tweeted out that the Canucks were really dumb to replace, uh, uh, Edler with with Pullman, and a lot of said, "Didn't Pullman. you watch how Pullman played in the playoffs last year? Played in the playoffs with the Jets." And I said, "That's a pretty small sample." And in the regular season, he was bad. And uh, this year, it's not really been good for Tucker Pullman. And Alex Edler has been basically what he has been. And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the win on that one. But other than that, yeah, no, the Kings, you know, Anzi Kopitar. How is he not going to the All-Star game? That's that's something that uh, I mean, I, I like Andrew and Kempy as much as anybody, but Anzi Copeland, come on, it's not for the All-Star game. Scary team as a Flames fan, uh, scary team coming up there for sure. Now we got a signing we gotta talk about. The Boston Bruins have signed goaltender Tuka Rask to a one-year, one million dollar contract. Rask recorded a 15-5-2 record with a 0.913 save percentage for Boston last season. Now it's funny because last week we were talking about him signing a PTO with the Providence Bruins. And then I think he got cut and then the Bruins ended up signing him anyway. But honestly, I don't mind it. I think it's pretty, it was so obvious right from the beginning when he left the Bruins in the off season that he was going to come back regardless, just because again, he came off that hip injury. I didn't think there was going to be too many teams interested and the Bruins ended up being a team interested. So good on him. If he can produce for them and help them get into the playoffs more power to him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think uh, when they, when they cut him, I don't think they uh, really had their AHL coach take him into a back room and say that he hadn't played well enough for him. That would have been, no, a that was a formality. <laughs> that would have been a pretty funny <laughs> yeah. conversation. You know, Tuka, you know, Tuka, we really appreciate you coming in here to Providence for the last couple of weeks, but we're going to move on in a different direction. And then Don Sweeney calls the next couple hours and say, don't listen to them. We're going to keep you anyway. <laughs> that would be a pretty funny turn of events. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, Tuker ask. I mean, if I don't think there was ever a reality where he was going to go sign with the Vegas Golden Knights or something. I think he was always going to be a Boston Bruin. Uh, would have been funny if he had returned to his roots and signed with the Leafs. But, um, hey, I mean, can't give them any wins, right? No. So, uh yeah, I, I think uh, big big get for Boston, uh, getting him back. It's going to be funny, you know, these midseason returns for players. You know, we've seen a few of them the last few years. Mike Fisher being one of the ones that obviously comes to mind in Nashville. Even before that, Peter Forsberg came back for a little bit with Colorado at the very end there, and that didn't last very long. So we'll see if Rask, you know, has the durability. He looked really good in his debut. So, you know, I, I can't see it going poorly because Boston has so much goaltending depth as it is um, with Swayman and Olmark um, already there. And so if Rask isn't ready quite yet, they can always put him on the bench, bring up Swayman and say right at it, kid. Um, but for now, Tuka Rask, I mean, what better insurance policy is there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got to talk about a couple of suspensions. Columbus Blue Jackets have suspended forward Gregory Hoffman following his decision to not return to North America following a personal trip to Switzerland. Hoffman's former Swiss league team, Zug EF, has announced 
that he has returned to the club. And of course, after this, the Columbus Blue Jackets terminated his contract. So he's now with the full, with the team full time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's th- this, this, this one is, um, is a little interesting to me. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't think he was necessarily punished per se. I mean, he was, he was suspended and the contract was terminated, but like I, he left, left Columbus for personal reasons and wanted, didn't want to come back. And so the obvious recourse there is just terminate the contract, get it off the books, free up that contract spot. And, uh, and um, there you go. Um, what I will say though, is, is slightly related thing is um you know, he was placed on unconditional waivers. And also this past week, there was a guy named Lucas Alvines uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights who was put on unconditional waivers. And this is something that I'd never seen before, but he was claimed. And and I thought that was just a formality. You know, you put a guy on unconditional waivers, he clears and his contract's done. Boom. But they claimed him off unconditional waivers when his contract was going to be terminated. So his contract wasn't terminated and it went to Anaheim instead. And it's like, Huh? Like, like, sorry, sorry. Run that one by me again. They must have never the contract. Heard of, I guess, <laughs> but like, like this is a guy who wanted to go home. He wanted to go to Sweden. He had a contract offer, and Anaheim was like, "Nope, you're with us now." And it's like, I have never heard of that before. This is going to be really interesting. Does he stay with Anaheim? Does he like? I don't know. Because Elvins should have played in the NHL. I think at some point for Vegas, he was looking really good. He's only 22. But hey, that's that's a really interesting one to me. And that's an avenue where I've seen guys have their contracts terminated before because they've been sort of frustrated at not getting shots in the NHL and they want to go back home. And the Ducks claiming them, that is new territory for me. That is something you don't see something new every day, but that is that is undeniably new. You think they phoned his camp up and said, hey, if we claim you and give you NHL time, will you show up? Because if they did that and he said yes, then this makes way more sense because this waiver claim allows him to get out of the contract in Sweden. Yeah, it's... it's because it's, if they don't claim him, he then reports to, by contractual application, reports to his club in Sweden. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to take away from the great no, this is cool. discussion. Oh. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is, it is... It is it is uncharted territory in the NHL. What we saw with Lucas, I think it's Alvines last week. That was weird and cool, and it was got the nerd side of me going like, "Whoa, this is something that we are like. This is this is Lucas. This guy is immediately a guy who I want to follow because I want to know what happens here. This is like if he turns into an NHL player. When there was a time like a few weeks ago where his contract, he wasn't going to even have a contract. That's going to be a trivia question." At some point, <laughs> it's going to be like, whoa. Anyway. Montreal Canadiens defenseman Chris Weidman has also been suspended one game for headbutting Boston Bruins forward Eric Howla. Weidman will also forfeit $3,750 as a result of the suspension. Yeah, I mean, pretty don't have but don't have but guys that's all you get that's, like, that's rule number one come on <laughs> yeah don't don't have but guys i don't know if i don't know if it's rule number one i think rule number one is don't trip guys and then rule number oh, two okay. is don't hook guys or number three is you know, don't high stick guys headbutting is maybe down in the 20s but but it's definitely a rule you still got to follow it even if it's in the <laughs> 20s you don't have but guys that's all that's all i got yeah, that's up there with biting that's like when brendan will be brett Brady or bit brady yeah bit brady where he's just like Okay, well, why? That's that's kid stuff, man. Babies don't even do that. 
a block of tit. Also, I uh, I just I just want to add to our previous discussion. I looked up Lucas Alvin's. He has played in two games since he was claimed by Anaheim. He's played in two AHL games as a goal, and uh, he uh, he he seems quite happy uh, okay. to be in Anaheim. He doesn't he doesn't seem like he's missing out by not being in Sweden right now. Uh, so. Just, just, just to wrap up that little, uh, that little segment that we had. There we go. Yeah, we never even talked about the uh, Columbus's Hoffman because that's yeah. just a well, weird contract. Guy was playing in Columbus and then just decided, nope, not for me. Go back home. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I think look, he, at, look at his stats in Switzerland. The guy puts up like fifty points over there. Yeah, it's amazing. I think. I think. I think he might have like had some issues with his family that he was dealing with. Okay, um, that door. Yeah, I think I think uh, there was there was something going on uh, with his family that he wanted to be closer to home with, and uh, that might have been the reason. I Makes don't sense. have a source for that, but I think I remember reading something about that. So, just um, I think yeah, th- that's why I said I think the suspension might have been more of a formality because I think he had been like, we I want to stay over here to be closer to home, and it was just a matter of bang bang. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Now we're going to close up top of the air by talking about a fine. Chicago Blackhawks defenseman Calvin DeHaan has been fined $2,500 for a dangerous trip on Montreal Canadiens forward Cole Caulfield. So I didn't end up actually seeing this play. I don't know how dangerous it was. So it was pretty bad. It was yeah, pretty blatant. Bad. I saw it. It was pretty blatant. It was, uh, you can't be doing that. That's just all. That's uh, that's that's one of those where uh, that referee in that Dallas Stars game said you can't do that. That's that's one of those. That's that was just a, it was blatant as they come. Okay. Yeah, because he could have hurt. Could have hurt him really bad. Oh, very very easily. That is that's that's why tripping is the number one rule. <laughs> you don't do it because because uh, because you, you take out a guy's legs from behind like that and he can fall back on his his arm he can fall on his leg he can fall on his back and there's there's a lot of bad stuff that that isn't covered there yeah and uh that, that can really go wrong you don't slew foot guys you just don't no i hate that stuff well guys that wraps up top of the air for this week now usually this would be the time of the episode where i would say we should hit the music but i think for today's episode we should prepare ourselves for the chuck Okay, guys, let's start talking about the Chuck Bowl. This is the second round between Brady and Matthew. Brady's side ended up taking this game by the score of four to one. Suns goals were scored by Nick Paul with two, Drake Batherson, and Connor Brown. Flames goals are scored by Matthew Deschuck. Shots were 34-28 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Calgary for majority of this game. Both teams came up flying to start with Calgary getting majority of the chances. However, Ottawa was the first team to get on the board and would take over, creating numerous scoring chances, which helped them take the lead and hold it for their first W of 2022. So, Tim, before we get into our notes, I know that you attended this game. So, first of all, what was that atmosphere like? Because I know that in Calgary, kind of like here, they're doing half capacity. Yeah. What was that atmosphere like in the saldo? You know, it's funny because I was pretty close to the ice and it was the ice on the TV side. So they were doing their damnedest to get people on that side of the ice in chairs with a reasonable amount of distance. So it looked like they had a as full of barn as you can have with social distancing. In fact. So it felt like a normal Flames game. 
it was a bit definitely emptier once he kind of looked at the other sections and especially looked up to the upper bowl and realized, oh, there's not many people up there. We took a, so we took a sign and this is the second time we've taken the sign to the game. First time we've had our sign checked. So Chelsea and I both had signs and they just said Zoob split over two signs, making a little wave while he set it for the Zoob chant. And uh, we just walked through the door and the security guard's like, oh, do you mind if you open that up for me just so there's no naughty words on there? Oh, okay, whatever. Dome got really loud, even at half capacity. So it's a good set of fa- fans they had there. As the game went on, they realized that while Ottawa was throwing down the security blanket, it got a lot quieter as the game went, went along. The crowd had fun the whole time. It was a little weird not being able to go buy a drink or something. So, And you can't leave the arena, so no readmits. So you had to basically be in there for two and a half hours without food or drink, right? So that was a little weird. Yeah, I had I originally had tickets for that game. I ended up selling them. I had no desire to go to a game with 50% capacity. Well, it's not that I had no desire to go to a game with 50% capacity. In fact, I probably would have preferred to have fewer people in the arena just for safety reasons. But um, I had no desire to go to a game where I couldn't eat something during it. That's just yeah. that's just my mentality there if i'm gonna watch a hockey game i don't want to have i want to have some nachos i want to have some popcorn i want to have a hot dog i want to i want to have something to do with my hands you know um it's like i just i just thought it would wouldn't be a good experience not be able to eat or drink for two and a half hours i mean i don't drink but like even just even just have a coke or something like i I mean i mean like i i i would have gotten bored (laughs) just not being able to have (laughs) something to have and and especially with the way that that game was going you know, if I'd been there, I probably would have left in the second period. I'm not even kidding. Like, I, it was it was bad. It was it was a pretty brutal effort. Flames uh, looked listless. The Flames looked like they did. The Flames looked like they did on the southern U.S. trip that they just had, where they got swept. Except they were playing the Ottawa Senators, yeah. which they should beat. <laughs> um, and they didn't. They have sucked against Ottawa for the last couple of years. Uh, it's a team that nobody in Calgary wants to face right now which is funny. Um, and uh, it's, it's just, it's just ugly right now in Calgary. Um, they're not going to do anything because they never do anything. And I know that the last time I was on the show, I think I said that. And uh, <laughs> it's held true. It and, and well, I think I, I'm trying to remember what show I was on. Uh, Cause I've been on a lot of different podcasts, but the last time I was on an Ottawa show, I said that they wouldn't make any adjustments. And literally the week later they hired Daryl Sutter. And it might've been this show. It might've been a different show. But yeah, like they they fired Jeff Ward like two days after I was on that show, and uh, immediately after I said they weren't going to do anything because they didn't <laughs> do anything because they're the Calgary Flames, and so that was a prediction that didn't come come to light very well. But they're not going to do anything this year. I'm full believer in that. Nothing's going to happen, especially not on the ice. They might maybe they'll fire the GM or something, but on the ice they're not going to do anything because it's not just not the Flames' way. Even though they definitely do need to do something. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it was on this show. It might have been on another show. I'm just trying to think. Would it have been internal budget? Possibly? I don't think so. Don't think so. No, okay. I don't think so. I don't think I was. Eh, maybe. I don't know. It was on some Ottawa show. I, there's so many of them. I don't but, know. One uh, of us might have to look this up while we're doing some notes here. And <laughs> yeah. I'll, talk, I'll talk about. Well, first of all, I want to talk about Matt Murray because he, the guy had 27 saves, a .964 save percentage. A great bounce back win for Matt Murray. And honestly, thought he looked fantastic in this game. Yeah, yeah agreed. He, he looked, was awesome. He looked great in person too, because one thing it's very, 
easy when you're in person to notice when a goalie's tracking and when a goalie's moving. And you could kind of read Matt Murray's eyes, even on the other side of the ice, he was dead focused on the puck. It wasn't one of those games where Ottawa would spend a bunch of time in the offensive zone. And then the goalie gets a bit disengaged. Matt Murray was locked in from start to finish. Yeah, I'm 100% on board for the Matt Murray renaissance. Uh, back-to-back wins here with uh, Edmonton and Calgary now. And, uh, you know, hey, why not? You know, just just make 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 this year just just a little bit more more chaotic. I mean, I think, you know, if, if Murray doesn't turn things around here, which it looks like he might be starting to do, I was wondering if he might be a buyout at the end of the year. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm not sure if I see the urgency for Ottawa to do that right now maybe at the end of next season, but, you know, Norris does need a new contract. So that is something that, you know, you know, uh, Melnick might want some money out and some money in. Um, but with the way that he's playing right now, uh, looks like a starter. So, Hey, maybe that can continue. And uh, that'll be a, a nice little boost for the senators going forward. If he's finally passed this terrible run of injuries that he's had, because yeah. I do think there's a talented goalie in there and uh, I just want to see him succeed because I like seeing people succeed. So there you go. Well Matt, well, Matt Murray, definitely at the beginning of the season, like he looked like he was definitely bouncing back. And then Chris Kreider had to run into him and it just set him back. But I'm glad that Matt Murray is really finding his game now, because I think we saw when he was out, when you saw how inconsistent Philip Gustafson really looked in the net and it was just like, Oh, good Lord, this is not good. And thankfully we had a goaltender who actually did look good during that time. Now, one day, now, another guy who looked really good in this game, and that second goal was a true goal scorer's goal. Nick Paul, two goals on five shots. Trade him now. No. I gotta say. <laughs> well, actually, maybe. Uh, well, Nick Paul, if you can keep him on cheap for the few years, that's a nice depth guy to kind of teach big keep guys. Big if. Yeah. No, big if. Yeah, he looked great. Bold prediction. Nick Paul's getting a granted TANF contract at the end of this season. From some poor team out there, I, I like Nick Paul. Go, don't get me wrong, I love Nick Paul. He's uh, turned into a really useful player. Uh, turned into a guy who makes losing Jason Spezza feel just slightly worse, or sl- slightly better. Yeah. Um, the the sting feels slightly worse because um, there was a time when I was watching Nick Paul, maybe back in 2018, where I was like, "This guy is not. There's nothing here. There's just like he's he's big." And he's the worst skater on the ice for either team. And he's just nothing. There's nothing out there. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I thought there was a time there where I, I was skeptical whether he'd even get qualified as an RFA by the Sens, you know, maybe at the end of the 2018-19 season. And all of a sudden he starts getting like these consistent middle six minutes and there's a player there. And it's like, okay. And he's quickly turned into a guy who is an indispensable part of a team that, I think if Nick Paul was, you know, a third line forward on a contending team, there'd be a lot of really positive sentiment being levied at him from around the league, sort of similar to what we saw with Brandon Tanev when he was on the Penguins. And, uh, you know, I can very easily see Nick Paul as a UFA this summer going for a four year, five year deal at maybe 3 million. I'm like, I'm, I'm serious. I, I see that as a legitimate possibility, which, uh, Ottawa should not do. <laughs> that's no. just that's just what i'm gonna say ottawa would be remiss to do this um because i think nick paul is well a good player also a very replaceable player and um don't get sucked into that deal uh you know there's gonna be a new york rangers team or a philadelphia flyers team out there that will sign nick paul to that contract but it shouldn't be all that's all i'm gonna say 
no, I just think Matt, not Matt Murray, Nick Paul, I think he's just going to be replaced due, just due to our depth in general. When you look at some of the young guys that we have coming up in the system and yeah. a guy who, again, I wasn't always a true believer of him, but I think I've really jumped on the wagon. Drake Batherson, one goal on two shots. And I got to ask Tim, because for myself, that was easily one of the best goals I've ever seen a senator score. What was that like, Tim, in the building when he scored that goal? Because that just that looks like a kind that, of goal you would appreciate more on TV than in, in person. Unfortunately, it was on the other end of the ice. We saw it happen. I actually thought it was Brady's goal at first. And uh, yeah, the biggest, the first thing was it took the wind out of the building. It was a pretty goal, puts Ottawa up 3-0, and yeah, Calgary not doing all that much up to that point. You get this beautiful passing play. Shabbat to Kachuk to Batherson to pot that thing. You knew at that moment the game was over. Oh, yes. And it's incredible because Matthew Kachuk gets a goal that could have been the Rangers game all over again, where he opens a goal, gets a goal that's actually a pretty nice goal against Matt Murray. But the difference is, is that Ottawa locks down here. And then you get that, you, you get this beautiful, beautiful work by Connor Brown. Man gets a breakaway. Okay, granted, it's Zador- against Zadorov and uh, <laughs> fucking Branson. So, okay, maybe not that hard, but beautiful hands and just beats Marks from flat. And that killed the building. Yeah. Um, Alex yeah. Formanton was fantastic that game yeah. because his def- like his forecheck enabled both of Nick Paul's goals and in and actually Eric Brandstrom not credited for the goal to he pinched up in a way that allowed Formanton to just grab the puck and go. It was like just fantastic hard fantastic hard work. Well, another guy who looked really good was Connor Brown. One goal, one assist for two points and four shots. I can't remember who mentioned it, but somebody on Twitter mentioned it looked like Connor Brown stole Formatin's Red Bull on, on that goal. I think the one thing we got to mention about that goal or on that game in general, Connor Brown in the pregame warm-up took a shot off the jaw. Thomas Chabot yeah, yeah. in pregame, he hit the crossbar. It deflected out and hit him in the jaw as he was turning. And it later turned out, it was a broken jaw. Played the entire game. Didn't even know it was broken. He said after the game, he's like, yeah, I thought it was a little bit sore. And I made a comment on Twitter. I'm like, look, I stubbed my toe at work and I think it's broken. And here's Connor Brown who breaks his jaw and just like, yeah, that's fine. Lol. Unbelievable. I can't believe he played through that. I mean, it's just with with no face covering on. Like yeah. he didn't like, know. Bro. Like I know. I know. Like it's unbelievable. Like he had no shield on like because he didn't know. Like, how do you, that's unbelievable. Well, listen, something um, similar happened to my buddy. He was uh, on one of those stupid uh, electric scooters, hits a patch of ice, falls down, like down a hill, dislocates his shoulder, doesn't realize it for a week because it doesn't hurt. And then all of a sudden it hurts a lot more. So it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. the human body's funny. It's just like this thing that you would expect to be just the, some of the most egregious plane you've ever felt. He's like, yeah, it wasn't above a three. That's yeah. like my girlfriend's brother. He he plays hockey in Alberta and he went to hit somebody. He missed. He drove his shoulder into the glass, dislocated it. Didn't even realize it was dislocated until the next morning when his shoulder's like way down here. And he's like, oh shit, I should probably go to the hospital. 
Yeah. So I could see Connor Brown not noticing until someone's like, dude, there's a golf ball on your face. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, Connor Brown's another guy who I wonder about what his future lies. Um, you know, I love what he's done in Ottawa. Um, if I'm Ottawa though, I'm looking at things right now with, with Connor Brown, because I look at Connor Brown and I see a guy who can easily fetch me a first round pick right now, especially if you look at what is going to happen with the next two years, having him at 1.8 million potentially as a, as a third line forward on a contending team, like holy mackerel, that could be a very valuable trade piece. Now, and that's the thing. That's why I would maybe look at it right now because, you know, you look at when the Devils traded Blake Coleman to Tampa Bay, he had a year and an extra year left on his deal. And it's the sort of thing where if you can get a cheap cost-controlled top six forward to play on your third line for not one but two potential playoff runs, that's where the real trade value comes in with the guy. Now, it might be harder now that he's hurt. Now, I don't know when he'll be back. You know, broken jaw, that's something that guys sometimes play with. Um, and then maybe that's the sort of thing where he's back before the trade deadline. But if Connor Brown's on the market, he'd be, I think, a really good player for the Sens to dangle. Um, now, I don't know if, what you guys think of that, because obviously you're closer to the Sens than I am. Um, but I think this might be the year if they're going to do it, they should do it. Honestly, I think for myself, I do see people's arguments of they, they should trade him. But honestly, I'm of the belief, I think we should just keep him around because he's a perfect second third line tweener if you have to bring him up to the second line he's perfect i think for me it's a matter of what kind of money he would want in another con in the next contract and honestly if it's a big money thing like a four million four and a half million i would say okay maybe we should look at trading him but if we get say like a drake batherson kind of a contract we can get it for maybe two and a half three million no problem good luck good luck that's yeah exactly all i can say good luck it uh, is tough because we're talking about a guy who's turning, he will be turning 30 when he's negotiating the contract. So that does play against him. Yeah, because if he wants is, term, he's going to have to give up cap. I would say the Sens would be remiss to sign him. I would say yeah. that like you, you have guys who I think Colin White is going to grow a little bit more when he gets back from his injury. I think there's very realistically a future where in a couple of years, you're looking at Colin White and seeing his production and seeing him as basically your internal replacement for Connor Brown in some respects. Um, Either you know, that or Igor Sokolov or Roby or Igor Sokolov or Shane, P- Shane, Shane Pinto. You know, it's just there. I think there will be replacements for his scoring and you do not want to have to nickel and dime guys like Jake Sanderson or Tim yeah. Stutzla when they're coming up. You just got to look at the window, right? Because like the Sens window with Connor Brown right now is non-existent. And I think the best of Connor Brown is what they're getting right now. By the time that they're ready to win, Connor Brown's not going to be that good anymore. No. Um, and so that's that's something where I'm going to say, you know, I'd be a little bit skeptical. But um, for now, I mean, he's one of the reasons to tune in. You know, that's that sometimes you just got to have those really good guys who help you through those losing years. And uh, there's there's few better guys like that in Ottawa than Connor Brown right now. Now, the last comment I want to make here before we head off into the Sens Oilers game, and it's something that I tend to bring up every now and then when the Sens play at home. And we got a chance to interview Alex Marchand, the DJ for the Sens, and we always comment, I always comment anyway, about some of the music choices he uses. The Flames DJ, I thought, played a really good variety of music where it ranged from No Limit by Two Unlimited to Motley Crude, Iron Maiden, and even at the end of the game when they played Gone Away by The Offspring. 
which is yeah. a great song and i think it's fantastic so no kudos to the flames dj i think the oilers one should take a little bit of cue from him because some of the songs i've played were like eh, i wouldn't really play those but you know that's not here or anywhere well i think you got you got lucky with that game for the flames because it wasn't actually the dj picking the music for that game fyi just uh it was a it was a it was fan submissions for that game yep. Really? Uh, that's that's yeah that's uh that's 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 why i think the music was a little bit better because usually it's not really anything to write home about i don't think um so maybe they should stick with that playlist but yeah that was a, it was a fan submission game at the saddle and so uh it was it was better than usual i will say <laughs> definitely well i, well, I know uh, alex in ottawa he does the same thing like he'll take suggestions from fans on twitter and sometimes he'll actually yeah. use them so yeah. i think it's great I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, if you're paying the money to go see the team, you should be get a chance to provide something, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to move on to the second and final game of the episode. Sens versus Oilers this is a six to four Senators victory. Sens goes to scored by Josh Norris with two, Adam Gaudette, Alex Formanton, Artem Zuba, and Zach Sanford. Oilers goes to scored by Zach Cassian, Kasser Yadamoto, Brandon Polini, and Darnell Nurse. Shots were 37-25 for the Oilers. Now, before we talk about the game, let's talk about that empty net goal. Okay. Because did you watch that fucking puck? Yep. It, it was basically magnetically drawn to the goddamn net. Like Sanford was like off by about two feet, two, three feet. And then it just like curls its way in. And I think the microcosm of this game was Evan Bouchard stopped skating. Yeah, he really gave up. He gave up on that one. <coughs> now, usually, fuck me. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, normally with these games, you know, I would do a recap or whatever, but honestly, it's just delaying the inevitable. Let's talk about the third period. Down 3-1 to start. Gaudet for Munnington and Zub make it 4-3. Oilers tie it. Straight cash homie Josh Norris makes it 5-4, and then the updater makes it 6-4. That's easily got to be one of the best periods of hockey I think I've seen this team play in a very long time. Without question. I would go on record and maybe probably the best period I've seen the Sens ever play. I don't know. It was 5-1. Okay, yeah. So Okay, second best, if we're being honest. But this was really good. This was really fucking good hockey. Because honestly, uh... it didn't even look like we were going to win that because we were down 3-1. Edmonton was dominating, and then the Oilers completely shit the fucking bed. Oh, love it. It's uh, it's just the Oilers, man. I mean, I, it's it's what I've been saying about this team for so long. They are a flawed, deeply flawed team that for some reason everybody picks to win the Stanley Cup every year, and it's never going to happen because they are just deeply flawed. And it starts at the top with Connor McDavid, who is a superstar and a flawed one, and Leon Dreisaitl being a superstar but a flawed one uh, because neither one is particularly skilled in his own zone. And uh, the Oilers are a team that has always been built with an – attempt of trying to outscore its opponents but a they never get the right players to do that and b they always get the wrong players to compensate on defense and uh (laughs) when the oilers are the oilers are just a woeful run organization when it comes to bringing in defensemen and then their goaltending is just just terrible it's just terrible i've been saying with their goaltending i i think we had 
Preston, uh, Preston Hodgkinson, when we, we had him on the season preview show, and we said that to him, we're like, I never understood why Edmonton feels that Mike Smith is continually being the guy. They could have gone and get yeah. R.C. Kemper. They could have gotten a Philip Grubauer. They could have picked somebody up, and they went, nope, we're going Mike Smith again. I'm very happy that they keep doing that for the rest. Yeah. But um, it uh, makes your division it's, easier. It's, oh, it's so funny. Um, but like, yeah, the Oilers. I I, I think they're going to miss the playoffs this year, and um, I uh, I'm not sold on Connor McDavid. That's all I got. I'm just not sold on Connor McDavid, and uh, I d- sure liked. I sure lost a lot of respect for him after his comments about Evander Kane last week. Um, and uh, so I have no. I, I have no sadness about seeing the others potentially missing the playoffs this year. Um, I, I just, I just don't think that McDavid is the savior that a lot of Oilers fans have wanted. And uh, I don't think he'll ever have the 200 foot game in Edmonton that is required to win a championship there. And uh, like with that supporting cast, like if, if they were able to, and, but that's the thing, they're not going to be able to build a supporting cast around McDavid that they need with the way that they're trying to build that team in Edmonton, McDavid is the wrong player to be there. And, uh, you know, I mean, You'd probably be better I'll, off with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. Yeah, maybe, but like, and also, can we just stop freaking out about, out about the goals that he scores? I'm just, I'm sorry, but like <laughs> him, 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 I'm, I'm becoming quite tired of seeing every top 10 highlight package for the month around the NHL being, Connor McDavid st- skates as fast as he can straight into the offensive zone. Defensemen wave their sticks at him and he shoots the puck and it goes in. It's See, boring. Like, like, I'm I sorry. Know how we feel with Austin Matthews. We're just like, yeah, okay. At least Matthews, at least Matthews is at least Matthews is a wicked wrister though. Like McDavid, McDavid like stick handles the puck into the zone. Everybody waves their sticks at him and fails at defense, uh, and then he just sort of tucks the puck in. Like He's direct like Mario. Situation. Mario was the same way though. Mario Lemieux was yeah six foot six, just comes except, right at you. It's like except except right except Lemieux, yourself. except Lemieux was a physical specimen. Like yes. Lemieux was like a tank on the ice. That's what he brought differently. He could bowl you over. He was he was one of the most unique players in that respect ever. McDavid is six foot zero, and I mean he, I'm the I last thought, guy. To, wait, McDavid's I'm taller than McDavid. I thought McDavid was at least six two. Maybe I don't know. He doesn't play like he's six two, but um, <laughs> McDavid's six one, um, oh, and uh, okay. yeah, and uh, yeah, he's he's just uh, I don't know. I don't think there's a more bland face of the NHL that there's ever been. Well, even that house just... tour they did on Sportsnet was just like God. Talk about a guy who's got no personality oh. to him, right? To be Look, fair, I'm sure McC- modern minimalism is in right now. That is true. Yeah. Hey, hey, you know what? If McDavid wants to live in a house that has no color in it, that's his choice. I'm not going to judge him for that. But um, I just, I, from a hockey perspective, um, maybe this is controversial, but I just don't buy the hype. That's all I got. No, that's fair. Don't buy the hype. I really, and also, I, how I think... does him and Dreisaitl play a game against the Ottawa Senators and not be the most productive players on the ice? Well, simple. Artem Zub played a great defensive game against McDavid. Because think of it. McDavid had seven shots in that game, and Artem Zub shot him down. That's true. Dylan Gambrell had more high-danger chances than Connor fucking McDavid. I don't know. I I think uh, if McDavid's ever going to win a Stanley Cup, he's going to be traded. Um, 
the best part one of my one of the people who I follow on Twitter routinely says this the best part of the of the future McDavid trade is there's zero chance it's Toronto and so he's gonna go uh he's gonna go to uh I don't know it would it would it, nothing would warm my heart more than to see McDavid go to some team like Nashville who and Edmonton watching Edmonton people say that now, why couldn't McDavid win a cup in Edmonton? We deserve it more than Nashville, because <laughs> you know that would be you know that would be the narrative, and uh, I don't know. That's I just I don't I don't have a whole lot of send him to the Bruins. That'd be funny. That would be that funny would be if, incredible. If the, no, because yeah, he's yeah. in the art division. I don't want to have to play him fucking three or four times a year. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. you get the eternal seething of Montreal fans and Toronto fans. It'd be it'd be worth it. That is, that, that is true. That'd be, that'd be pretty funny. That's fair. So let's start talking about some guys. Now, of course, we got to talk about Josh Norris. Two goals on two shots. And the chain. Okay, can we talk about the number nine chain for a second? Is that a new level of swag that this guy has? I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I think the Sens should make one of those for every one of their players. Well, even Batherson. Batherson has a 19. So basically, yeah, yeah, exactly. those guys are becoming prime time now. Like they become yeah, you know, exactly. Their chains. It's great. I dig it. Artem yes. Zub should like Artem Zub should have like a sparkly gold number two on his helmet that he like plays in, like his own little special sticker. Like I know they all have numbers on their helmets, yeah. but his should be sparkly and gold. Um, no, I love it. Um, Just have a sparkly. I, I think line. who gets who, who yeah. wears the clock? Oh, oh, who wears the clock on the Sens? Oh boy. I'd probably say Josh uh, Brown as the player who doesn't do anything yeah. but is there. Yeah, but gets outsized amount of information, in, outsized outsized amount of attention put to him. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So no, definitely. Have the I think turtleneck and chain. Yeah. He would just be like like kind of like the Lonely Island guys. He would just have the turtleneck and chain. Yeah. No, the Sens are fun. That's all I got. I mean, the Sens. You know, they. they I don't know if they're ever going to be the the cream of the league. Um, you know, with this core. Like, I think they're going to be a pretty good team, um, you know, a playoff team. Um, but no matter what, there's still the sense they have the best jerseys in the league, close to it. They got a really good logo. They they play out of the the funniest arena in the NHL. And uh, it's it's just it, you're, you, never a dull moment. That's part of the reason why I like the Coyotes, and it's part of the reason why I like the Sens. It's uh, never a dull moment. I really got to get my hands on one of those black Sens jerseys. It's just like such a good look like holy mackerel such a good look yeah if you are gonna get one definitely get don't cheap out on the fanatics jersey get one of the oh no 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 you gotta get the adidas no. oh nice looking like they the, it looks way better in person you would not believe any, how great they look in person. if any of y'all know where i can get my hands on a centennial classic jersey too that'd be one that i want i want the one with the silver o it's beautiful they might still have some surplus in like the small to extra smalls yeah, well, I was thinking, I was thinking, I think the Sense store still sells them, um, but uh, they, I think they only have them in size 52, and I'm a size 50. Um, um, but yeah, th- those are great. Sense should bring those back as alternates. I'm serious. Um, yeah, exactly. That one. Uh, yeah, Mark Stone. Beautiful. Yeah, like uh, the uh, the Centennial Classic, because the Sense, I think, need a red jersey. Um, personally, I think they really need a red jersey. Well, we do. And uh, that's nice. Yeah, and I think that's that's the one. That's the one that I like the most, honestly, of that they've ever worn is that one. I've always maintained, like when we did our reverse retro, we should have done what the Senegal jersey was. 
accepted. Ah, uh, yes. And have like yeah. have the Peace Tower shoulder patch. I'm still a sucker for those shoulder patches. They look great. Now let's go back to what we're saying here. Now let's talk about Artem Zub. He had one goal, one shot. That shot was incredible. That's a shot. Yeah. You kind of forget Artem Zub has this kind of offensive talent to him, and then he sees a goal like that, and I'm like, whoa! Like he pinpointed that perfectly, and he got it. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to say. So we talked about Connor Brown earlier, and uh, you got two guys in Zub and Brown who are expiring after next season. If there's one of those two guys who I pick, it's Zub. 10 million out of 10 times. Um, and I, I, I say, like, because Zub is a little bit younger, and I think he's a little bit better. And he's a right shot defenseman, and every team needs those. If I'm the Sens, July 1st, 2022, I give Zub whatever he wants, really. More close to it. Because I think that's a player who they'd be hard pressed to lose. For yeah. Sure. Well, how often do you just find a second to third defenseman right side as a UFA? That literally never happens. He's one of the best European free agent signings in recent memory, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm sure Kaprizov is probably pretty close to that, but he was draft pick though. He was a draft. Oh, was pick. he really? I didn't. Yep. Even, I yep. thought he was undrafted. Yep. Oh, okay. No, he so, was a draft pick. Okay. He's so, up there. He, Panarin. Panarin is the guy who was undrafted. Thank you. Okay, that's one. Maybe I'm. Yeah. Okay, so Tim Stutzla. Yeah. Now, of course, yesterday his 20th birthday. Now he didn't score a goal, but he had an assist and one shot. Such a great player. And I, I wish yep. he'd scored in that game. So I can't really comment too much about him, but I do want to talk about Matt Murray again. 33 saves, a 0.892 save percentage. I'm always a big defender. I like to play the devil's advocate when it comes to the goalies, especially on a rebuilding team. I can't say I really blame him on the goals. The only one I can maybe blame him for, and this is a very, very hot, hard take to say, the Yamamoto deal. When he came down, it just kind of slid under his pad. There's not too much he can do about that, but... Yeah, and I felt pretty annoyed with a lot of the people online saying that Branstrom should have covered Yamamoto better. Branstrom got back. Branstrom pushed him to the edge. So that went from a scoring chance. Yeah, Yamamoto fell. But that allowed Branstrom to push him to the edge. Absolutely. So, Tim, I know that you're going to be wanting to talk about this guy. Alex Formanton, one goal, one assist for two points on two shots. What I've really liked about Formanton really is that not only is he on a tear, but he's found that long missed scoring touch that we didn't even think he really had on. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing about Formanton is all of his goals that we've been talking about have come from solid, unabashed for checking. So, for like a Formington was had a helper on, I believe the Godet goal. So that was another just hard work behind the net, get the puck out, shoot, gets a goal, then comes right back out, does the same damn thing. Just hard for checking the Ed, Edmonton can't keep the Edmonton players just can't keep Ottawa from cycling. Mm-hmm. And that's just the really interesting thing. And it was uh, Cody CC and Duncan Keith getting victimized again. Can we talk for a second when Josh Norris scored that goal <laughs> that he was using Dylan Gambrill's helmet and his celebration was he took the helmet off and threw it onto the bench? Well, <laughs> it's so great. It's so good. But Cody CC took his goddamn helmet off with a stick. I honestly was watching that and my first thought was, oh God, he's hurt. Why are they not stopping the play? When Josh Norris got up and he's not hurt, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Because oh, that God. was... 
That's the most blatant penalty I think I've ever seen in my life. And of course, it's Cody goddamn CC doing it. Of course, it. it would be Cody CC. Of course, <laughs> it would be Cody. Oh, good lord. Yeah. Good old Cody CC. I remember Cody CC in Ottawa. That was a uh, that was a that was a roller coaster. Oh, oh yeah. You should have been on Sun's Twitter at that time. Oh boy. Oh no, I was. I I saw it all. I saw the uh, the fans were uh, not a huge fan. Oh, that's one that's way. That's an understatement. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the incredible thing was Leafs Twitter did not take well to Cody CC. No. After four now, games, four games, they were ready yeah. to ship him out of town. And we were laughing. And we're like, hey, we had to endure five years of this. Now you have I to Leafs that. Twitter. I think Leafs Twitter took a little while to maybe not super long, but they they uh, had, had a bit of an adjustment period with TJ Brody, too. And, and now they love TJ Brody and so did Flames fans. But now there's a couple of Leafs Twitter accounts that for some reason are like Calgary didn't know what they had in TJ Brody. All their fans are idiots. And it's like, bro, TJ Brody was great here. What are you talking about? Like you, like every, if, if, if you were a Flames fan who didn't like TJ Brody, there was some bias at play there. I think yeah. um, same type of fan who didn't like Dougie Hamilton or even Mark Giordano at the end. Oh, I mean, they liked Moxie's. Yeah. 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 Well, there, <laughs> there are a lot of flames fans who to this day think the flames are better off without Dougie Hamilton and without TJ Brody. And it's like, okay. yeah, it's like, I don't know. So it's not really Ottawa without CC. That's, that's a very different thing. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Now another guy that since Twitter seems to rip him a new one every now and then is Chris Tierney. Now he quietly had himself a game here with two assists. Mm-hmm. Gotta love Chris Tierney. Hey, that's I remember when the Sens acquired uh, all of those guys from San Jose, and Tierney was sort of like, I guess some people called him the centerpiece of that deal at the time, yeah. and uh, just just a funny player, you know. I think I think he will get more appreciation once he is out of Ottawa for being sort of a respectable two way, maybe bottom six center who can chip in on offense at time to time. For what he is in Ottawa, I don't think he gets. I don't. I just don't think he's in a good spot at times in Ottawa. But um, well, the problem is he's uh, getting played. Sometimes he gets forced into a top six role, and that is not him. No, certainly not. And he's overpaid. He's he's paid too much for what he is. Um, but you know, useful player, I think, in the right circumstance. Not on a rebuilding team necessarily, but on a deep, uh, like contender team maybe. I think there's definitely room for Chris Tierney in the NHL. Yeah. Absolutely on a on like a roster you know, defensive forward type guy. Last player I want to talk about is Eric Brandstrom, who, while he didn't find his way to the score sheet, I think he's starting to grow on DJ Smith. Because maybe previous years after the Yamamoto goal, Batherson would have been stapled to the bench for the rest of the game. This year, sorry, Brandstrom start. Did I say Batherson instead of Brandstrom? Eric Brandstrom. Yes, right. Eric Brandstrom. Really, I think he's starting to gain the confidence of DJ Smith a bit because after that Yamamoto goal, previous years, Eric Brandstrom would have been stapled to the bench for the rest of the game by DJ Smith. This game, not only did he continue to get reps, he ended up getting more. He ended up being played heavily in the last five minutes of the game. We want to see. I think the Sens would be remiss to trade Brandstrom. I think Brandstrom's the kind of guy you want to keep around and get, keep giving him reps. Sort of what happened with Calgary with Oliver Shillington this year. It just sort of clicked and everything was 
you know, instantly top four defenseman, everything you wanted. And I think that's what might happen with Brandstrom someday. I think it would be foolish to trade him at this point. Yeah. I've seen some people on Twitter being like, trade him for Philip Zadina. And it's like, oh, no, don't no. do that. I, I've seen those not- too. But you know what? There's a lot of Twitter accounts on Sense Twitter that really, they anytime any remotely any player gets mentioned, they're like, oh, do you think Otto oh, should go after this? And I'm like, the Sens are not going to go after him. That requires to actually spend money. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, and I think Zadina has more trade value. So the Sens would have to add to Brandstrom to get him. But I also think Zadina is a worse player. Yep. Um, and so I, I think it would be just a, a woefully counterintuitive exercise on multiple fronts. I think you just keep Brandstrom, keep believing in him, bring him up, like keep playing him, bring up Lassie Thompson to keep playing them and see what they get you. Um, once, you know, you can offload guys like Josh Brown and uh, all that sort of filler. Yeah. Um, that's where the future of the organization lies is in doing stuff like that. Well, I think it really says something about Sedina when the Sens passed on him at four and they took Brady instead, because at the time there was a lot of fans are saying, even us, we were oh, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, go for Sedina. He's the best guy on the board. He'll be mm-hmm. so good in this team. And then we took Brady like, why are you taking him? He's not the best guy on the board. And then it's like less than a year later, we're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Brady. We love him in here in Ottawa. I, I said this at the time of the draft. I thought Brady was absolutely the right pick um, because you have a Kachuk. This is guys at Kachuk. And this guy looks like he might be a clone of the other Kachuk. And you can't pass on that guy. No. Like, this is a guy who comes from the richest NHL bloodline imaginable, basically. In recent history. Uh, Yeah, yeah, in recent history. His dad was a superstar. His brother is a superstar. He's forming into a superstar now. He's forming into a superstar. And I, I, at the time, Philip Zadina, as good a player as I thought he might be, I just thought, you got to chuck in your sights. You don't pass on him. And they didn't. And it was the right pick. Yeah, I still can't believe Montreal picked Kotechniani. That's the thing yeah. that I cannot understand. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a curious. One, I know we, we we had to make Katugas here about that, eh, Tim? Let's yeah, see. poor guy. Okay, I do want to talk about Brady, the final guy on my notes. Now, even though he had an assist in one shot, did either of you guys watch the after hours interview that he did post game? No, was pretty great. Tim's gonna appreciate the titty shirt came back. I love the titty shirt. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Does Matthew do Amazing. shit like that? uh sometimes um he's he's a bit of a clown sometimes uh he usually messes with his hair more um he's got he's done the racing stripes before he he, i mean the clothes he hasn't really done anything crazy too too crazy with yeah um they're both characters though absolutely absolutely. even matthew in some of the after hours i've seen i think there was the the after hours he did after brendan lemieux bet Brady. Oh, that was hilarious. Like, he's just like, yeah, that guy's a fucking clown or whatever the hell it was. He said, yeah. And you're like, I got to stand up, got to stand up for your brother, your brother. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, can no we, absolutely. Can we make a mention though, and one thing we didn't mention in the Chuck <laughs> Bowl game, Matthew hit Brady in the junk yes. with stick when he went down. God, yeah, that, no, that was great. That was that was. Uh, that, I was sitting there watching it, that, and we were just killing ourselves. Like that's awesome. One of these days, they're gonna fight. It's yep. gonna happen. Well, their mom will kill them. Do you Great. think their mother, which is stronger, the urge for wanna, entertainment, brotherly rivalry, or mom's wrath? I would want to see that on video. Yeah, <laughs> that would be because hilarious. if they do that, see, their mom is going. 
She seems seeing like a Brady. wooden spoon type of woman. Well, seeing Brady and Kachuk, or seeing Brady and Matthew sort of standing in their in their family's living room with their heads just hung, <laughs> while like Taryn Taryn Kachuk's like giggling at the side, and and, and and the mom is just like going, "What were you thinking?" Don't speak <laughs> first. They're not sitting on the couch. Both the boys. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry, mom. <laughs> and, and 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 Keith and and, and the mom bringing Keith into it and saying, "How could you let this happen?" <laughs> He'll be on the couch boy. too. Yeah, Keith will be on the couch too with his hung, head hung, just being like, "Oh, why did I let this happen?" Yeah, I told, I, I said, "Don't fight, boys." You didn't say yeah. it hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Um, I'd I'd pay to see that. Same. Yeah, I would too. It would be great. Yeah. So I don't have any more notes uh, say on these games, guys. If you just want to head off into the close, for no, let's do it. I'm, so Mike, I'm, I'm good to go. Mike, we really appreciate you coming on the show to talk with us this evening. We hope to get you back on the show another time. Now, before we head off into the close, first of all, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find your articles and the Wings Nation? Okay, so uh, this might take a while. Um, my Twitter is at Mike T. Gould, at M-I-K-E-T-G-O-U-L-D. I'm on, so flamesnation.ca, uh, uh uh, wingsnation.com that's basically the two main sites that i write for um and they're but they're both on twitter at flames nation and at the wings nation um aesthetics you just go on youtube type in aesthetics and it's basically the first thing that pops up pops up that's i-c-e-t-h-e-t-i-c-s and uh yeah i mean it's basically just about it i mean unless you want to come down to oak tokes and hear my 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 uh my uh, PA announcing, but that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a trek for probably most of your listeners. So uh, yeah, I know it's, uh, it's busy times and uh, trying to make the most of all this opportunity. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the third line plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Cause believe me, Tim and I love recording up for you. We're on the national podcast network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 Honey Badger. I'm at Great Red Gipster, GR8, W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot an email to talk about the games, talk the R, or you want to give some feedback on Mike Gould's appearance here in the Third Line Plus Sensecast, choose an email, Third Line Plus Sensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week as it currently stands, we've got three games on the schedule. Tuesday, the Buffalo Sabres will be coming to Ottawa. Thursday, we'll be heading down to Pittsburgh to play the Penguins. And Saturday, we are heading to Washington to play Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. How the hell is this the first time we've played Buffalo this season? COVID. Okay, I'm doing Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jancy. Go Sams, guys. Woo! Saying that I